You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. This Sunday, 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 Couch Potatoes presents Alex versus Cap. But it's Wednesday. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. It's Sunday, motherfucker. They're getting into delay. All right. Either way, it's prime time. Yeah, we're in prime time. There's no Wednesday night football anymore. No. <laughs> it's that stupid uh, NBA uh, uh, NBA uh, time slot on ESPN that nobody watches. <laughs> no. It's always like the Bucks versus the Nuggets or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome this week to the Couch Potatoes. It's going to be a special two, maybe three-parter. Who knows however long it takes us to do this game. But I'm Alex. This is Cap. And this is your your decider. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Take the reins and here, this, Morrison. And what are we game, doing? And in this game, instead of me versus someone and kicking their ass, <laughs> this is going to be Alex and Cap trying to... Kick each other's sit, asses. <laughs> trying to prove to me... That mm-hmm. their picks for the top sixteen rock bands in all time is better than the others. This will work just like a bracket system. They have chosen sixteen of their favorites. That's right. And scale them out. Rock and rock. We should put in big yeah. air quotes. Anything with electric guitar and white guys. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes, we are experts. Or, or ladies. Whatever. Whatever. Ladies. Whatever floats your penis. Uh <laughs> no, I didn't put any. My fault, lady. My fault, ladies. Yeah. Cap's a bigot. I get <laughs> So in this one, uh, it is seated like a bracket system, like the NCAA. There's six team versus the one, all the way down to 16 versus a one. Yeah. And we will whittle it down as the shows progress, but just go ahead and kick it off. I would like to ask Alex and Cap to present their first 16. This all one, right. They will present uh, six. Uh, so Alex. Who is your sixteenth name? Okay, so I, the way I the way I kind of at least men, uh, mentally picture this is I don't want to say anything other than the band name and mm-hmm. just have y'all react because I yep. want to save my arguments yes. for when we get into the bracket. Yep. So no, and and again, this is a loose favorites. Don't at me. Don't send me don't no sh- any don't, of us. These yeah, are don't, our picks, not yours. <laughs> don't don't send me any messages being like, why is this band not above the look. I threw this together. It's going to be fun. It's entertaining. But my number sixteen, Johnny Cash. Okay. Are we so solo artists? If I knew solo artists count, I would have. uh, Any artist counts. (laughs) Okay. You said we said bands, but that's fine. This the game started now. Cap's getting confused on the game again. I know how this ends. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your pick is Johnny Cash. All right. Well, Johnny Cash is solid though. Yeah. Am I going all the way up to my one? No. no, We'll just do sixteen and sixteen, fifteen and fifteen. Okay. To combat your uh, fifties. Rockabilly country icon. So number sixteen. My sixteen is a uh, 
heavy metal icon from the 1980s where they're uh, with their leather and studs, Judas Priest. Oh, <laughs> walk the line versus British steel. Uh-huh. Ooh, ring of fire versus yeah. hell bit for leather. Yes. Ooh, what a fucking combo this weekend at Olsen Prison. Opening up for Johnny Cash and some leather studded gays. Yeah! <laughs> My number 15 is GBH, classic hardcore Ooh. punk rock band. Nice. Well, to combat your GPH, my uh, I got a garage rock icon from the early 2000s. I guess a kind of garage rock at this point, but it's a duo. Everybody's favorite rock and roll duo from 2003, The White Stripes. Ooh. Ooh. All that's, right. That's going to be a knockdown drag out for that, that one, I think. Uh-huh. Okay. Damn. Well, it's, well you, you said it's flip-flopping, oh, right? Yeah. The way we oh, do yeah, our it brackets. will be, but like, this, okay. I could just, I have, I, go ahead, folks, if you're listening, I have the list in front of me, and I'm just looking at this, and it's going to be knockdown drag outs throughout the whole fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> if they can defend it properly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, number 14. This was a random one for me, but I've got reasons. Uh, number 14, Green Day. Okay. Ooh. All right. Well, to combat Green Day, probably one of uh, their favorite bands, but from a different time period, late 60s, early 70s, Detroit's own MC5. Hmm. Not bad. Not bad. Okay. All right. All right. That's, that'll be that's, a, that'll that's, probably that's, the most drag out so far. <laughs> but, but, but again, hold on. These, these are the people aren't competing. Not going, no, no, no. Okay. So... Uh, just like a bracket system, a 16th True. seed will go against the first seed. Okay, I, I was just so, wanting to make sure. Right. I was so like, people right. at home, write this down yes. yeah. and keep track. Because <laughs> <laughs> it gets it gets uglier as we get closer to number one. <laughs> okay, I was just wanting to make sure 16 wasn't fighting 16. Right. All right. 13. Any, uh, number 13, sweet. Okay. And at uh, number 13 for me, I have Motorhead. Mm, mm, hmm. Damn, you okay. picked 12 better than Motorhead. That's pretty impressive. All right. I mean, uh, like for reasons. <laughs> number 12, I've got Social Distortion. Okay, Social Distortion. Well, uh, for me, it's uh, a band. It's uh, Well, it's a band. It's a group of guys. It's the band. The it's, band. Yeah. Damn. From mm. Bob Dylan's favorite. Huh? Bob Dylan's favorite. <laughs> good enough for Bob Dylan. Good enough for Eric Clapton. Good enough for a lot. Everybody in the 1970s. And you're like, good enough for me. Take and a load off social distortion. Here comes the band. <laughs> <laughs> Number 11, I've got the dwarves. Okay. I oh, ha- I've, got, I've got reasons. The dwarves. And uh, this, is, this, this would be funny if this was head to head. Um, my next uh, on the list is uh, Canadian power trio Rush. <laughs> <laughs> See that's gonna live be, in Montreal, oh, baby. That's gonna be fun. <laughs> the George just start blasting. Today's Tom Sawyer. <laughs> I want to see Black sing Getty Lee so bad right now. Oh God, number ten. I've got Super Suckers. Okay, and uh, I have uh, next on my list. Uh, I'll do. Uh, it's, a, it's a band. You got to clarify though, because I know this one. You oh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to. I'm going to include both eras, both singers of this band. Ooh. Yes, I have my reasons. Okay. Okay. Yeah, band famous for two singers, but I mostly think I famous, know where this is going. Mostly famous for one guitar player. Eddie Van Halen. All right. Van Halen. Van Halen. Uh-huh. Mm. To quote Joe Dirt, only Van Halen, not Van Hagar. <laughs> All to Van Hagar. I got my uh, Hagar uh, defense ready. All right. Okay. You go, do it. Right. Do it. Do it. <laughs> number nine, I've got Sex Pistols. All right. number nine, My number nine, I have... Number nine. I have uh, the Velvet Underground, Lou Reed and John Cale and uh, some uh, trailblazers of their... Similar eras. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. 
That's so that's a, that's a good strong middle though, you know, because yeah. they're going to be representing because these two may end up going against each other. Exactly. Hmm. So that that might be a fight. That'll be interesting. I've, number eight, I've got Turbo Negro. Turbo. All right. Well, I've got uh, the next on my list is a band that everybody has copied and pasted and mimicked and uh, ripped off. Uh, in one way or the other. And this band has two. It's Led Zeppelin. Uh, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Led Zeppelin. Uh-huh. Yes, I was actually, I, I was listening to a um, like a little video essay thing the other day that was actually going into um, just the different riffages that Van Halen, no, not Van Halen, them Led, Ze- Led Zeppelin was getting in trouble for for ripping and like all the lawsuits that happened. Just the problem is that everybody uh, ripped off everybody. It's just that oh, more, yeah. more people listen to Led Zeppelin. That's the problem. So what are we on now? Seven. Mm-hmm. All right. My number seven is Thin Lizzy, the one Cap cursed at when I was like, "Wait a minute!" You I didn't? know it's not on my list. How did I fuck? Did I forget that? <laughs> so seven is Thin Lizzy for me. All right, and I got a uh, Queen on my list. Ooh, the British Isles are being lit the fuck up. <laughs> yes, they are. That was a bill like there's a flyer for that uh, that only happened one time where it was queen thin lizzie and i think it was blue oyster cult so get me a time machine Straight right now hail, baby uh-huh. all right damn <laughs> all right well, the emerald uh, versus killer queen yes <laughs> <laughs> uh my number six is a blondie okay blonde interesting well mm-hmm. this band kind of uh this uh, my next uh, my number six is kind of uh i'm pretty sure uh, influenced blondie and everybody in new york in one way or the other the new york dolls yeah that was the one i was cursing at. i was i was about to put them on and actually this didn't make my list but i almost put johnny thunders in just as a fuck you <laughs> <laughs> the heartbreakers there yes well. i almost put in the heartbreakers just because so like the little bit of argument I had in my head is, you know, he probably had just as many hits as the Dolls did on that first record. But the Dolls transcend in a lot more they, ways, they, or way, exa- are kind of like their overarching reach. And now you understand. Decades. And now you understand why he's not on the See, list. We know. We know I, what's I, I up. Knew, I knew that argument would be coming, and I'm just like, uh, before I, before anybody stretches their fingers yep. and gets that caps lock ready. <laughs> All right, so it was Blondie and New York Dolls. New York Dolls. Okay, no, my number five, Tom Petty. All right, well, my num- number five is probably uh, Tom Petty's uh, greatest influence, The Beatles. <laughs> I take your three-part harmony and summon Stevie Nicks. <laughs> Stab that motherfucker! <laughs> oh no, they use Yoko. <laughs> Unafazed. Oh no, George is using his uh, meditation powers. Oh shit! T- kill the evil witch. Ringo. Tom Petty uses survive getting his ass kicked. <laughs> George Harrison is weak. But he won't back down. Oh! oh. There it is. And then George crosses the dark side and they form the traveling Wilburys. <laughs> boo, boo. <laughs> All right. My number four is David Bowie. Okay. And my number four is The Who, one of the Ooh. oddest soups in rock and roll history. Bowie. Both of ours are actually yeah. <laughs> Bowie out weird Keith Moon. <laughs> uh, he uses the eye. Yeah. Keith Moon pisses himself. Yes, <laughs> basically. And my top three was extremely easy because, and this is going to be the ones I can argue the hardest because it's the bands that have been in my life probably the absolute longest. So number three, the Misfits. And I'm on a similar boat. These top three are like my most. Uh, con- consistently revisited groups mm. of all time and you said misfits yeah for my number three all right my number three is the stooges mm. uh-huh that's mm. gonna be that's gonna be tough <laughs> all right my number two 
is Kiss. And my number two is the Rolling Stones. Satanists, both of you. Yes, <laughs> fucking Satanists. Straight from the bowels of hell. As it should be. <laughs> and and Capital C, I was probably going to put Kiss as my number one. No. My, my, oh. My number one. All right, hold on, hold on. Before we get to number one, okay. real quick. Okay. Uh, I will say these are all fucking either future Hall of Famers. <laughs> <laughs> Every fucking one of these are on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in some sort. Yeah. Some of them twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but for your number one, I kind of see... Like I, I would have picked these for y'all. Like if I, really? if somebody had asked me, who's Alex's number one? I'm like, I, I do. Yeah. And it's say with Cap. <laughs> <laughs> but it would have been Cap's actually was kind of hard for me because when he sent it to me, I'm just like, really, he picked that one over that one? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, he's a big fan of that one. <laughs> but uh, go ahead, give us your number one. My number one, the Ramones. <sighs> and my number one is Black Sabbath. Ooh. Hmm. Absolute Ooh. pioneers of the genre uh-huh. for both for of both them. of them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, both so equally as important. So, oh yeah. So to set it up, I will explain the battles as they arise. So as it sets now, call it in the air, fellas. Heads or tails? Heads. Tails. Cap goes first. All right. All right. In this first battle. Well, let's just, just, to, just to give you an idea of what this bracket looks like and how fucking insane it is. <laughs> Alex's number one seed, the Ramones, will play the Judas Priest. Oh, no. <laughs> Kiss versus the White Stripes. <laughs> the Misfits versus MC5. <laughs> Bowie versus Murderhead. Motorhead. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Tom Petty versus the band, which I'm pretty sure are the right. exact same people. Right. <laughs> that would be a hell of a bill. Ooh, knock down, drag out. Blondie versus Rush. Ooh. Oh, wow. <laughs> Our friends from the Emerald Isle versus Van Halen. Halen, Halen. <laughs> <laughs> Turbo Negro versus the Velvet Underground. Oh, wow. <laughs> Both Ooh. very uh, eccentric personalities fronting. <laughs> and good luck. Alex, Sex Pistols versus Led Zeppelin. Oh my God! <laughs> I raise your queen. <laughs> Super Suckers versus Queen. Ooh, okay. <laughs> the Dwarves versus Eddie versus Freddy. Yeah, Eddie versus Freddy. Yeah. <laughs> New York Dolls versus the Dwarves. Mm. Oh wow! Mm. Think about picture that bill first off. Yeah, that'd be fucking great. Uh huh. And opening on the Ed Sullivan Show, Social Distortion and the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> and this band actually probably did to get together with the other one, Sweet versus The Who. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. yeah. Same time eras. Yeah. Both, both English. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Live in a dirty, ba- dirty fucking dive bar in London. Green Day versus the Stooges. Oh wow! R.I.P. I'm out. I know where I'm going. This Sorry, week, guys. This week, live at Altamont. Bring your hippies and knives. It's GBH versus the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Altamont Part Two. <laughs> black knife. <laughs> and Ooh. the Man in Black versus the, the band, band in Black. Black, black Sabbath. Oh, just like the all, all of the dark, the darkness music. <laughs> I raise your walk the line around you, hand of doom. Oh. <laughs> 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 Going to Jackson, paranoid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all yeah. right. 
So we are going to keep track as we go. It's like a shitty D&D game. Right. <laughs> Do we have... You have a utensil right here. God damn it. A utensil. Wow. Yes. <laughs> like knife on a pan. Let me put on... Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, damn it. All right. So we will start with our number one seed for Alex. Mm, okay. Alex, uh, who... All right. Since Cap, do you want to defend first or you want to be on the offense? Um, basically, do you want to receive first? <laughs> I'll receive first. I'll go okay. I, let me put on my best Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> All right. You must defend Judas Priest against the Ramones. Let me tell you why Judas Priest. All right, real quick. Do we have a time limit? No. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if it was like time. It's a podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't know like if we were like timing each one for like, you know, how long the defense can or no. should go. So... Judas Priest pioneers in the genre of heavy metal, much like the Ramones were to punk rock. Okay. They also uh, pioneered a look, much like the Ramones did for uh, yes, yes. the genres as well. Created the metal look. Mm-hmm. But with Judas Priest, their impact on their genre, probably a lot more so than, probably a lot more than, like, say, not more than Black Sabbath, but I don't think any other band impacted the genre of heavy metal after Judas Priest. Mm. And as far as uh, defending that against, say, punk rock like, like the Ramones, there's just, it's kind of, musically, that's kind of just like, you know, you know, kicking a little kid while he's down or something like that. Guitar solos oh. for days. Oh, Drum oh, parts oh, for days. Oh. Ice cold water in Rob Halford versus Joey Ramone. You know, it's someone's just, getting fucked. That's like me. <laughs> that's like me playing basketball against LeBron James. It's just, it's not happening. It's not happening. Man. All right, so he come out swinging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, right. so Judas Priest, British Steel versus screaming for vengeance versus not only one of the top names in punk rock. How do you defend yourself, Alex? Well, I was making a few notes while uh, Mr. Uh, Captain over here was making a few claims. Defend yourself! Yes. (laughs) So, Judas Priest pioneering the sound of heavy metal. Well, I I tend to disagree with that, and that's where I will lead in with my argument with the Ramones. Do it. Now, they may have formed in 1969 and struggled their way through the 70s, but they did not reach any sort of critical acclaim until when? The 1980s. The 1980s, when we had multiple bands already within the genre, just to name a few, Metallica, that had huge inspiration on the metal world that helped shape the landscape of where that music were to come. British Steel and Screaming for Vengeance both come out before Kill Em All. (laughs) Now I'm fighting against Metallica. <laughs> On the contrary, as soon as the Ramones came out with their debut record, it immediately made waves within the underground community. Not within sort of radio waves, not any sort of popular waves, but all of a sudden they started building up this community and this like underground situation, including other bands that we have on this list, like Blondie, that created an entire subgenre that heavy metal was later birthed out of. But Judas Priest was part of a similar movement in England in the early 1980s, late 70s. It was them, Iron Maiden, uh, Saxon, all kind of birthing out of these underground clubs in England mm-hmm. that had kind of arguably a bigger reach in England and later on in the states that influenced bands like Metallica and Anthrax yes, the, and the gave Ramo- birth to the, thrash the, metal the, and the all Ramones that. walked so the rest of these bands could run 
<laughs> the Ramones still set this shit up so all these bands could do all this. They were the first ones coming out. Aside from the New York Dolls and aside from like Blondie and Devo, they're the only ones coming out doing really weird shit in the New York area. And they and you think of the Ramones, you immediately see the long hair, the leather jackets, the tight jeans. It's like they had already cultivated an image before there was an image to cultivate. <laughs> Judas, Judas Priest may have cultivated that, but but uh, Rob Halford was already just dressing leather and studs because he would just go to like you know S and M shops in England because that's just how he rolled. Mm. And also, if you asked any any budding musician. Who their favorite songs came from. Yes, you will get a couple from Judas Priest, but I will guarantee you the first records they have in their collection will include one of those first three Ramones records. One word. One word. Painkiller. One song title. Blitzkrieg Bop. One of the most popular punk oh, is this rock a song songs. Off? Oh, we're doing a song <laughs> off? We're this deep yeah. in the weeds now. <laughs> One of the most popular punk rock. If love it or hate it, if you're tired of hearing it, I don't care. It is one of the All most right. popular I punk rock songs. I have made a decision. I have made a decision. Uh-oh, he has decided. <laughs> As a fan of British Steel. Okay, damn. <laughs> However. <laughs> uh, with out the gate popularity, I will say KKK took Judas Priest away. Oh, the Ramones oh, took this one. Now I will say they were not popular straight out of the gate. I do it for the music fans listening. They weren't popular straight out of the gate, but they were creating something mm-hmm. that by their fourth record was really starting to pop off. Okay, so it is Alex's turn to receive. Okay. I need you to defend Johnny Cash against Black Sabbath. Johnny Cash versus Black Sabbath. Let's picture it, folks. We're live at the Grand Ole Opry. (laughs) (laughs) Live at the Grand Ole Opry. The original. In black and white. In black and white. There's no color back then. Color TV doesn't exist. Dolly Parton's in the audience. She's ready. Yeah. Her, her and Elvira are ready to play. They're sitting there. I'm like, oh my God, I love Black Sabbath. Elvira's like, Johnny Cash is the man. Like, totally opposite. Dolly Parton's been waiting to hear Black Sabbath all week. Porter Wagner's in the bathroom doing, doing blow. blow with Ozzy. Yeah. Just fucking eating bats, stealing songs. Just doing it all. All right. The opener. <laughs> Defend John- yourself. Johnny Cash. Okay. Strike so, hard, strike fast, no mercy. <laughs> that's right. If you want to talk about a man with countless hits mm-hmm. and countless songs that have been used in not only marketing, but just you you just you know him. Walk the line. Uh and Jesus Christ, you cannot go anywhere without hearing Ring of Fire. That is one of the song, bands, bands I have on this list have covered that song. I teach Ring of Fire to little kids. <laughs> <laughs> he teaches the kids to Johnny Cash. We gotta teach these kids. One of the most popular rock and roll images. If you look at any Google list, one of the most popular rock and roll images is Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison, giving the middle finger to the photographer. He is synonymous with not only country. But with rock and roll, and had some of the most successful music later on in his career, whether their fan base liked it or not, it was a critically successful album string of American records produced by Rick Rubin. Mm-hmm. So, 
not only was he huge in the 60s, huge in the 70s, may have had a little bit of downtime in the 80s and 90s, but by the time, but every country artist has gone through that. Not every country artist comes back up through the ashes and release, what, four, five, six records back to back that are all critically acclaimed amazing. Mm. Black Sabbath, everyone talks about the Ozzy era, and that lasted like, what, six records? But <laughs> that's all. But I love that the but <laughs> six record. Those first six records are all anybody needs to get through the their dark times. And you say that Johnny Cash has like hits for days and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, this, that, and the other. Black Sabbath has maintained a legacy for like decades, much like Johnny Cash has huge legacy, hugely influ- uh, hugely influential, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, helped create a genre through an. Accidents. Yeah. They accidentally created a genre where homeboy Tony Iommi loses two fingertips in a welding accident before he was like the day he was going to quit his job and join Black Sabbath. And through all that, they have maintained that influence and that legacy with only two hits Paranoid and Iron Man. That's all they needed. And then they have like six, seven, I'll give them seven great albums top to bottom that are just, that any music fan just needs to consume that are just, you know, in their own little ways. You know, not maybe not technically, you know, the best production-wise here and there, but like the vibe is just, Mm -hmm. you know, the perfect vibe for that kind of dark, you know, evil devil music, if you will. And you talk about how uh, they... Are only like synonymous with maybe one singer. I'll give you the Dio era too, man. The Mob Rules ah, is nothing to sneeze at. You're come pulling, on, look, you're I, pulling I, heaven and, and hell. I'm not, I'm not trying to speak ill will of the dead, but I I can I can snooze on those records all day long, man. Including Rainbow, which is why neither one of those things. Ended We're not up talking on about Rainbow. We're talking about <laughs> heaven and hell. We're talking about the Mob Rules. We're talking about Country Girl. We're talking about still a series of classic riffs that are still being you know played by teenagers at guitar centers all over the country yes but none of those records stack up to anything johnny cash did even in his prime those records are still going to hold a larger legacy than any of those records combined from the dio era so I, I can give you Paranoid, I can give you all those classic songs, all right. but none of those Dio records combined are even going to account to the one Live at Folsom Prison record. I that, love that record alone is going to be forever encased in the Music Hall of Fame of one of the greatest live records. And I love is that it even one of my too. favorite records? Not necessarily, but I can look at that objectively and go, that is one of the single greatest live records all right we'll period. Co- all right well we'll come back you, to uh, you Ozzy have, Osbourne uh, then. you guys made very very good arguments <laughs> because i love both these bands deeply. i do too and that was kind of what was tough <laughs> this, is, this is very hard for me it is but i gotta say and i hate to fucking do it the hand of doom down to Hand of Doom beats Johnny Cash. Damn. I like how I uh, spent most of that time arguing for the uh, Dio era. I know, right? <laughs> Dio era one over... Mm, I'm going to have to call an audible on this one, sir. My favorite, uh, <laughs> I love my favorite track off that uh, False in Prison 
it's, I can't remember if it's Folsom Prison or San Quentin that has a cocaine blues where he's just singing it out Folsom. of key the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> where he's like, his voice is cracking the whole uh-huh. time. Let that cocaine be. <laughs> All right. So now we've got out two number ones have made it. Mm-hmm. So the one seeds are still hard, strong. Your hard picks may come down to the final two. Remember that. They're one step closer. Whew. All right. Well, okay. what's next, sir? Uh, Cap. Okay, my turn. And I hate to do this to you. Oh, boy. <laughs> you need to defend the White Stripes against Knights in Satan's service. <laughs> so. <laughs> Cap immediately straights I like, I like the heat. I like the. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I know there's one of those coming up for me, too. I just kind of so. went through one of those, but still, it was just like the, oh. So, Kiss. Has a handful of hits to get played on classic rock radio. Oh, can on- I just say, can I just say this real quick? In the beginning, we just started in two fights. We already knocked out Johnny Cash and Judas Priest. <laughs> can we can we just acknowledge that for a fact? <laughs> <Yes>. that, <laughs> that run of the progenitors to what becomes rock. Yes, and one that becomes the progenitor of metal yeah. has just been knocked out of a game called Rock Fight. <laughs> This is all opinions, and please let us know in the Discord why you hate Alex and Cap. <laughs> Wait, shouldn't they be hating you? You're the final decider. I'm the decider. <laughs> okay? I'm the decider. All it right. could be just coin flips the whole fucking game. <laughs> so, Kiss's most downloaded song. Oh, he's using Spotify I'm numbers. Gonna, I'm going I'm right, to right. start with Spotify numbers. And uh, let me verify this with the white stripes real quick. I want Russ here just to moderate this. Real yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Kiss's most uh, played song on Spotify is I Was Made for Loving You. <clears throat> Roughly 500 million plays. Okay. The white stripes, as of a few days ago, are in the billions club with Seven Nation Army. That riff by itself is probably heard. That riff is probably heard more universally than "Smoke on the Water" is these days. I'd say that's more universally heard than any Kiss song. Okay, what is it about the White Stripes though that make them just the pinnacle in your pick? See, Kiss took uh, with Kiss to make their hit records. It took four people. Sometimes five people in the studio in certain parts of their career. White Stripes, it only took two. And like 90% of it was Jack White. Okay. Prolific, just prolific talent. One man army. One band army, pretty much. The mech could barely even play drums. But so we have a seven nation army versus the kiss, kiss army. army. <laughs> and considering both of you defend kiss on a daily fucking basis <laughs> to me. <laughs> Please tell me about these devil-worshipping assholes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on a route that Cat probably won't even expect. I've got five words for you. Mm-hmm. Rock and roll all night. Now, do I love this song anymore? No. But if we want to talk about plays and massive hits... Motherfucker, Spotify wasn't around in the 70s. It wasn't around in the 80s. That doesn't count. Oh, radio play. Go, Alex. <laughs> that doesn't play. That doesn't count radio plays. That doesn't count. Every time you turn on 106.5 The End, you're... You will hear that everywhere. You, No one can do that drum intro at all anymore without someone going, it sounds like rock and roll all night. <laughs> it's like no one can fucking play four time on the floor with a two on the fucking snare without it immediately thinking rock and roll all night. 
Every little kid up teach wants to learn Seven Nation Army. No little kid wants to learn rock and roll all night. Because no kids day. suck ass, and we know this already. Kids have no taste. <laughs> and even with the mask mandate getting lifted, those motherfuckers still need to be wearing it the little snot nose, no cover in their mouths, coughing asses. You ain't lying. <laughs> so no, kids have no taste. So... Except for kids in the 70s who made Kiss one of the yeah. biggest bands. Those kids. Those kids are cool. I like those kids. Those pot-smoking, El Camino-driving kids. No. Kiss, if there was if there was not a Kiss, there would not be a White Stripes. Because Jack White has even said that Kiss was an inspiration for him to be a guitarist. Not necessarily an inspiration for the White Stripes. But as a musician, Kiss was important to him. Does he like their commercialism? No, because he's very anti-commercial. But he's, he, was, he looks at it from the song standpoint and he goes, as a musician, I did grow up liking them. I just don't like Gene Simmons. That's basically where he kind of stands now. So that's even my extra take. And if you want to hear further, just listen to No Time to Turn. <laughs> plug, I'll rest plug, my fucking case. Plug, 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 plug. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, hmm. Hard to say. See, I didn't even talk about Kiss as a band and how influential they were for even bands like Slipknot coming along I'm, and trying to protect their identities in the modern day of music. So even if it weren't for Kiss, we wouldn't have bands like Slipknot trying to create mystique around their imagery and using masks. I only used one argument, one song, rock and roll all night. Same with White Stripes. <laughs> this is for rock and roll all night versus Seven Nation Army. Oh my God, yeah. So it was, that is basically a song and They were like the one band like when I was coming up in high school outside of like say a Velvet Revolver or something like that everybody listened to that and, was like a legitimate rock and roll band and too. you know what I will even toss it to you um, that was the first song I heard from them and I heard it on one of the American Music Awards and it literally stopped me dead in my tracks by the time the chorus came on and he was using like the distortion and everything that's about the time I kind of heard it I was like whoa what is like this is on TV so no I get that but the White Stripes did not create an obsessive fan in me like Kiss did well, they created a bunch of obsessed hipster fans across the U.S. I, I and Europe and everything else, I don't, I don't argue, see people it, with white stripes collections. I have made a decision. <laughs> okay. Live from Boston Garden, white stripes starts playing. <laughs> All of a sudden, who is it? What is that, a shadow in the rafters? It's Peter Chris. <laughs> He's out, flying down. Drunkard and Repelling down with wires. He kills Jack White's sister. Rack don't go cocaine. <laughs> Flamethrowers start blasting into the audience. And here they are. Kiss, 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 kiss. Ah, uh, yeah. So I knew I was kicking that one. It was down, but that was just too fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Oh, K, K lowercase I S S. No, I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> like sweet. It's like, <laughs> see, if you really wanted to go argument with it, you would have attacked '80s Kiss, and that would have been a lot harder for me to defend. But you just went on the White Stripes and their one. We song. just went the one song route with know, all of them. I know. You, you totally. But, hey, hey, you is, totally had an out this, there. This you got to remember. He's the side. The side well, or not, not, us. not just that. Just that. This is. Your arguments. Yeah. No, no going back. Oh, I know. I you know. fuck it up. You fuck it up. <laughs> Oh, I'm rethinking some of my past Alex. arguments too. Yes. Alex, yes. Alex, mm-hmm, Alex. Mm-hmm. I think this is my uh-oh round. You need to defend GBH. Okay, no. Against the Rolling Stones. <laughs> okay, yeah, that little bit, a little bit. All right. Ugh. I was pulling a dark horse for that one. I'm leading on this one, right? All right. Okay. Yeah, you're leading. You got to defend them. Cap. Live, live on the Ed Sullivan Show. Cap. James Brown just got off stage. GHB. <laughs> Cap. 
GBH, whatever. We, <laughs> I already feel like where Chris is going. Cap. We, we haven't gotten to do a whole lot of cool shit as a band. No, we haven't. But we've gotten to open for a handful of really cool bands in our time. GBH was one of those bands. GBH was one of those bands. So, in the pantheon. <laughs> um, no, not even really. It leads in. So, in the pantheon of reachability and being able to like achieve something. Opening for GBH, yeah. Opening for the Rolling Stones, that's going to be a little bit more difficult. So that's the reason I kind of have bands like GBH on my side. Because I find that music that's a little bit more reachable and obtainable can sometimes be a little bit more enjoyable. Same thing as like watching a band in a theater versus a huge arena. It feels a little bit more of that disconnect. When you see the Rolling Stones these days... It's, you're kind of getting that disconnect. It's like they're, they're up there, they're playing. It's like, but it's it's the kiss factor of like you know you you see the little action figures on stage and it's like okay that's cool, man. Well, we saw GBH. I was fucking two people in the front, fucking getting sweat on by everyone. It was a massive great time. If I want to compare going to see the Rolling Stones versus seeing GBH, honestly, I would have more fun watching GBH. Because it would be such a more close, intimate, personal experience. And when you want to talk about just good music, hardcore punk, good hardcore punk in my book is hard to come across. But GBH really struck that balance between having catchy guitar riffs, good melodies, and stuff that you can still kind of latch your hand onto. And they're still making new records to this day that stacks up to the classic 80s stuff. So that's at least my reasonings for having GBH on my personal favorites list. That's a good argument, and I won't disagree with you that you know going to GBH would objectively, objectively be way more fun than going to see the Rolling Stones. But however, <laughs> if I want to go back, Cap, I'm gonna I'm gonna interject for a second. Okay, uh, as a listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, who has never listened to GBH. Yes. If you don't defend the Rolling Stones properly, I'm going to kick your ass after this. I Because mean, <laughs> I made a damn good <laughs> argument. I Come could, on. I, could, I, could, I knew I had nothing a, he tugged, here. He there's... tugged at the heartstrings. <laughs> he got into DeLorean, went back in time, <laughs> brought it back. He did. He's like, oh, yeah, they are pretty. GBH, shout out GBH. Solid Ooh, argument you know what? on Alex's. A great band that let us use their own kit. I know. Hey, you know what? So shout we out. didn't have to set up in front of theirs, and we had more stage space the other bands that played after us didn't have to do i mean i had to still do that but we didn't because they were so nice to us you know what shout out to gbh they were a great group of guys really cool band we would talk talk your ear off after playing a set with yeah them. absolutely but they didn't write give me shelter Ooh. Ray they did they did not write uh, I felt like that anime move where it's like you see the knife go by and it's, it's like you're, and you're just kind of looking around and all of a sudden like your head slowly starts sliding off your torso. I'm like, oof. They, they did not write Can't You Hear Me Knocking. They didn't write uh, Wild Horses. Oh. I could, should I go on? Yes. Brown Sugar. Uh, Tumbling Dice. Ex- I'll go albums. Exile on Main Street. Let it <laughs> they bleed. didn't write City Baby Attacked by Rats. <laughs> Nobody's heard that fucking song. <laughs> I have not. <laughs> it sounds amazing. <laughs> no, but uh, if we were like, and if we were to open up, say if we had the the privilege of ever rolling, opening for the Rolling Stones or anything like that, 
I want the mystique to be there. I want my heroes to be, you know, I don't want to meet them or anything like that. I want there to be some sort of mystery. I want to keep wondering, you know, when it's that kind of music that's kept me uh, going for like, say, decades now at this point. Music that's been around for decades that I continuously come to revisit. Hell, I've got like two or three playlists of specific Stones eras. He does. Because <laughs> <laughs> seriously, we were in the car one see, time. He was like Stones 1 or see, Stones 2. See, uh, GBH is a great you know, like you say, a hardcore punk band. Mm-hmm. The Rolling Stones is a great rock and roll band. They're also a great country band. They're also a great dance rock band. <sighs> they can do just about anything outside of maybe hardcore punk, but still. <laughs> How can- <laughs> <laughs> But they didn't write Time Bomb. <laughs> I'm swinging. Brown, sh- brown sugar. I'm swinging. I played D&D enough to be like death saving throws. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a 20. I wrote a 20. I'm sitting here. I'm like, coach hadn't called it yet. My shoulder's still up a little bit. <laughs> Look at him, folks. <laughs> Look, Look at, at the heart. <laughs> Look at the heart of this man. <laughs> I feel like I'm uh, a man. I've seen him twice. <laughs> I feel like I'm the head coach of Syracuse uh, against uh, UT Martin right now. <laughs> <laughs> what great heart this team has! <laughs> but heart, they lost. Get- they lost both string quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> they got their third quarter. This is Willie Jones, the creator of an electric wheelchair. <laughs> Steel wheel, uh, Steel Wheels tour. Another Rolling Stones reference there. There you go. Ooh. Yeah, I know, I know, um, I know. I think, folks, uh, I don't want to make a quip of this <laughs> because I don't know GBH enough to do it. But can you hear me knocking? Rolling Stone. <laughs> That's fair. What That's a fair. Wow, what a bloodbath there, Gene. It looks like they're going to uh, move on to the next round. All right. I will say... Beautiful fucking argument. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I tried. I, I knew where it was. I knew I was had a lot coming on that one. This is fun. Yeah. Because <laughs> I made it. Because <laughs> I made it. Motherfucker. <laughs> All right, Cap. All right. You have to dis- defend MC5, Detroit's own, mm-hmm. against the Misfits. Ooh. All right. Well, <laughs> well, it's like that. This, this, I like that. That's how it starts. That now we're at debate. Club. Well, now we're at debate club. <laughs> I know. I know. So misfits, you could argue that they have their legacy is based on their their songwriting and their hooks and their image mm-hmm. and this whole aesthetic that is you know continues to inspire to this day. But when it comes to sheer raw aggression and power, it's really hard to top the MC5. If you watch old footage from like the late 60s and early 70s mm-hmm. in their prime with the original lineup doing songs like Looking at You and um, Kick Out the Jams, I was trying to think of like, what's the main hit? Yeah, Fuck. you're good. Yeah, Kick I, Out I, the Jams. I was having brain first during kick the Johnny Kick Out the Jams, t- motherfucker. Yeah. No, I was having that during the Johnny Cash bit. I was like, oh, my brain's farting right now. How do I not remember his 20 hits? Right. <laughs> but yeah, but like MC5 never had a fucking hit. But they were trailblazers in making, you know, kind of informing the idea of punk rock where it's us against the world. And just, the just again, it's kind of like with The Who, which I'll probably argue for here before too long, where it's just, just power and aggression and just like you're just watching, you know, just chaos on stage, which is all, with all of this great playing. Wayne Kramer on guitar, Fred Smith on guitar too. Just this, mm, just, it's hard to... 
it's one of those things that where it's hard to vocalize. That's what I love about bands like the MC5, where it's just like they're one of those bands where it's just like I can probably count on one hand where it's hard to explain what but i have to put it on half the time and just and you just blow people's minds with just like live footage of them you know and mm. it's just uh, a sound and a and that's that's the thing too that's, with that, mc5 that's a good argument though there's mm-hmm. passion with the mc5 i saw there's that with a, you <laughs> that's what this band does it's like there's a passion of this music and there's an aggression in this music that can't be duplicated and when it comes to you know def- you know comparing that stuff to things like the misfits it's a hard argument but the MC5. But watch this. <laughs> no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, well, that's kind of that's uh, my argument for them uh, against the Misfits in a nutshell is that their power and their dedication and their passion has uh, continued to uh, to bleed into rock and roll subcultures to this very day. You listen to bands like the Helicopters and the White Stripes and bands like that. They all took from the MC5 and took that garage rock sound from Detroit and just put it in their loins and continued to build that legacy for future rock and roll nerds like us. So, the Motor City 5 versus Jersey Zone. Jersey Zone. All right. Well, if you want to talk about creating a legacy and creating an impact, the Misfits not only created their own legacy, when the band broke up, the lead singer created his own brand new legacy in a brand new genre. A brutality. And And then the band reforms with another singer and creates a brand new legacy. And now... The original singer is back, creating a third legacy. They need to do that. The Misfits logo, the Crimson Skull, is among one of the most popular punk rock, if not band logos, period. Right up there next to the Black Flag bars, right up there next to the Ramones uh, presidential emblem. That Fiend Skull can be purchased at Walmart, right next to your I'm With Stupid (laughs) t-shirts. That logo has been bootlegged and used across so many different platforms, so take away even all the music. The logo itself is so synonymous with the idea of horror punk a genre that they helped push into the forefront of people's minds that even some of our best friends here in town the body bags use as their inspiration for music if it weren't for the misfits we wouldn't even have bands like the body bags the misfits walk so other bands like them graveyard boulevard wednesday 13 all these other friend bands so they can actually have a thriving career in the music industry you know throwing our dangling our friends out like that too but hey it's something closely connected they created this entire subgenre of music art that our friends have even been able to you know benefit from sure we could even say the same thing with some of the other bands for you know our other friends but this just immediately makes me think of it because it's so niche the mc5 created aggressive rock and roll yes but look at any of the classic misfit stuff as soon as you hear what are they about? and they're straight into it that crowd is just going nuts and everyone's like heads bouncing off the walls man those shows were they sloppy yes were they playing well no but the crowd was in it man they were going nuts the problem with the i love the misfits and i love their songs but they need two guitar players and a 
and the drummer from Slayer to make these stadium shows work where the MC5 back in the day already had such a solid rhythmic unit. There's a lot of R&B. There's a lot of James Brown. There's a lot of, you know, that they comes didn't with need the passion it in the 90s like that. when they were in their prime with Michael Graves. They only need it now because, honestly, it's probably because of Danzig. He wants that little extra beefy tone. He probably doesn't want to go out with just Doyle as a guitarist. He likes having a dual guitar sound. But and of course, you're fucking Jerry only Glenn Danzig and Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein. If you were in that band, Captain, and you had Dave Lombardo's number, you wouldn't call him up to be like, hey, you want to play in my band? <laughs> Come on, you're using that as an effort. They have gotten so big they can get Dave Lombardo to be like, fuck yeah, I want to play in the Misfits. <laughs> I would much rather play guitar in the MC5, though, playing those like Wayne Kramer licks or those Fred Sonic Smith licks. Well, I got something to say. Metallica covered three Misfits songs. One of the biggest metal bands. Everybody covers Kick Out the Jams. Did Metallica? I don't know. Ah, did Metallica cover any MC5 songs? Not that I know of the time, ah! but Jack White did. <laughs> oh. I don't know why I was using that as my defense near the end, but I was just... Relevancy. I will yes. say. Relevancy. I will say. Faith for Cap. <laughs> faith versus legacy. What a fight. I don't know. I'll, I'll still have to give it to him. MC5, huge legacy. I, I love MC5. That's why I can't let that For argument's <laughs> sake, legacy versus faith. Okay. Cap, I love you. <laughs> I don't love MC5. Oh. The misfits take it. Mm. So far as even. It's yeah. Been back to back, back and forth. I call that one a moral victory. <laughs> <laughs> but. Mm. Alex, you need to defend the network. I mean, Green Day. <laughs> against the Stooges. I already hear the bagpipes. <laughs> the pipes are calling, Alex. The pipes, the pipes this, are calling. This is a futile uh, argument. I'm going to have to pivot some. Okay. Um, you could argue. I'll let you argue the network. I know. No, that's, a completely, that's a completely separate band. No, I won't go. Is that. it the network? I'll say that. Okay, I'll say this. I'll say this. While Iggy Pop, while if there were no Iggy Pop, there probably would not be a Green Day as we know it, because Billy Joe has been very upfront with his musical inspirations and everything from '80s hair metal to '60s garage rock, he was a fan of. And Iggy Pop, of course, fell in that line. So we probably would not have a version of Green Day as today without Iggy Pop. And Iggy is one of my personal favorites, which is making this argument very difficult. I just heard you list him off earlier in the list, and I said, "Fuck, I can't add." <laughs> but my initial argument was going to be because I didn't think I was going to be paired up against Iggy was not only did Green Day become extremely successful only after releasing a couple seven inches and playing for a couple years at Gilman Street it's this tiny little invite only club for little punk kids only after a few years did they become successful enough to where they were able to go on tour, get signed to a major record label, and they had huge hit after hit after hit. Am I necessarily saying I'm a huge fan of those hits today? No, but they were still a huge imprint on that late 80s, early 90s era of punk rock. And then, as soon as they started to die off a little bit again, boom, 
they are right back in the forefront with one of the biggest selling records of the early 2000s, American Idiot, that you, again, could not turn on the radio without hearing American Idiot, Holiday, or Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Again, is it a great record? Not necessarily, but that's what I'm leading into. They became successful through all those outlets to the point that they have now been able to create a system in which they can be creative on their own time and do exactly what they want to do. Critics be damned, whether it be the new father of all record or the covers record Billy Joe did, or as Chris mentioned a few times, the network, which they did right before they released American Idiot and then recently rebooted again. They use their fame in order to position themselves to create exactly what they want to whenever they want to. And to me, that is the ultimate goal of a musician. So whether they enjoyed every little step of the way, maybe, maybe not. We've seen two of us have actually sat and watched documentaries where you could see during the making of American Idiot process. They were not looking at having it have such a political lean, but the art directors were kind of pushing them in that direction. So you could even see how maybe they weren't wanting to go full bore, you know, hug, you know, save the trees, you know, liberal, you know, kind of thing during that time. Don't vote for Bush because it was 2004. (laughs) Exactly. You maybe they weren't wanting to fully go down that route, but they were kind of pressured in by the record company and the design team. Well, guess what? They've used that success. They've saved their money in a smart way to where they go, fuck it. We're going to do exactly what we want, say what we want. And if you don't like it, oh, well, we're just going to keep doing our shit. And to me, that's the ultimate goal of being a musician. And that's why I've actually had a lot more respect for them over the last few years. And I respect Green Day for all that. And that's, what and that's every- all I got. <laughs> Kill me. <laughs> and that's what that's the great thing about Green Day. Uh, I'll, say, and- I'll say this 10 out of 10. Yeah, oh, and argue. Green Day recorded two songs with Iggy Pop. Yes. <laughs> Great songs. He didn't record with them. They recorded with him. Yes. <laughs> yes, they were his backing band. <laughs> Great Great points. Green Day worked very hard to get where they are. It took them years, decades even. The Stooges were just a group of fucked up teenagers from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They didn't even know how to record. They didn't know how to play. Iggy didn't know how to sing. But they made two albums and then a third I'll include the third record even though it was a different guitar player it was still the Ashton Brothers I'll ter- those th- first three records are still being played and blowing people's minds today and those guys didn't know what the fuck they were doing well they Green Day really didn't know what they were doing during Dookie either and like Walking Contradiction Longview all those songs get huge play on the radio still too but the Ashton Brothers were all strung out on whatever Michigan fucking pills and Trey wasn't (laughs) Billy wasn't (laughs) I I don't know what their drug history is I've read more about the Stooges drug history which makes it more (laughs) fucked up you know you're right you're right you're right like they couldn't even on raw power they couldn't even record anything properly they put like vocals on one track they put guitars another track and then bass and drums and whatever else on a other separate track and they made one of the most influential albums in that format that's still being you know in, that's still being inspirational it's still influencing people to this day it's called raw power if you haven't listened to it check it out it's like maybe 30 minutes it goes by like a fucking cheetah speed you know it's, i can't I, I can't say anything now he just used the reference raw power of, he just used the reference to one of my favorite jackets and that's also why it's one of my favorite jackets this is such a great fucking yeah rock pa- and roll record yeah raw power versus american idiot <laughs> everybody's gonna pick uh raw that, power I'll, I'll, billy joe will that, probably say the that, same thing that was your finish him move on that one <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
No, and I totally agree. There's no argument there. I knew as soon as those two got paired, I was like, well, I know who's moving through. I Finish can't, him. I, I can't even argue this. That You're correct. <laughs> Chris is already well, writing even, it down. Even, even conceding, I will say your argument was very well done, <laughs> but it's not a heart full of napalm. No, <laughs> no it was not. <laughs> very solid. <laughs> but bravo for standing your ground. I tried. Way I to tried. go, Zimmerman. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> oh, you forgot though. You forgot. I, you forgot how dark I could get. <laughs> yeah, fuck. You're in game show host mode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Cap. It is your turn. You must defend. Now we're getting into the nitty gritty, fellas. Mm. The nitty. This is when the lines aren't going to be so clear going into the fights. No, this is we're fighting in the mud now. Uh oh. Like Mikey and <laughs> Mikey and Tony. <laughs> Mikey. <laughs> Defend Detroit's own motorhead. England's motorhead. England, sorry. Yeah. Motorhead versus that one eyed fuck David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a story. Spin me a yarn. See, it took okay. We talk about Okay. <laughs> Let me sit back on this and crack a, crack a cold one because I want to hear this. I know we've been using influence and legacy and stuff like that as our defense for a lot of these arguments in this show. But with uh, when it comes to Motorhead versus David Bowie, as far as defining their legacy and their career, it took David Bowie how many phases to really uh, not only be successful, but to continue his success and his longevity. You know, you're Thin White Duke, you're Ziggy Stardust, you're... Uh, coke addled uh, station to station phase where he doesn't even remember recording the fucking album Motorhead only had to keep one look for 40 years and write the same song 40 years and people still kept going to their shows and still kept celebrating Motorhead like they were like the you know that they kept celebrating the sex drugs and rock and roll powerhouse that Motorhead legitimately maintained Lemmy more so than the others throughout their entire career, and that's uh, that's something that we all aspire that anybody that you know wants to you know aspire to be kind of looks at. You know, Lemmy's kind of like the rock and roll caricature that everybody kind of you know latches onto, but he actually was the the real deal. He walked it and talked it, and didn't put on a front, didn't have to put on a costume, didn't have to you know, even though it's a look that he cultivated himself with his you know his beard and his hair and his Jack Daniels and his strippers and all this other shit. But all that all that kind of followed him because he just kept writing, he kept you know performing, and he kept touring, and he just never uh, never changed, and nobody wanted him to change and he didn't he just kind of did whatever he wanted and kept writing great songs and you know he had a vibe that was that stayed successful you know in peaks and valleys you know for 40 years and that's something that every rock and roll band aspires to be just to kind of uh, have something that people like and that will people that will uh that people will come to keep seeing even in in their their down period for that many years all right. Very so, solid. Very, very solid. solid. As a fan of Motorhead, thank you. <laughs> now. <laughs> As a Here fan of David Bowie, <laughs> this is going to be hard for me if it Alex is. can do it. Because 
I will even start my argument by giving him props and kind of going, yes, we have been using legacy and longevity as big parts of our argument. And I would say that Motorhead and Bowie, in their own respective circles, probably hold the same amount of love and legacy within the hard rock and heavy metal community. Motorhead was almost like the cream of the crop. You see so many of the memes that are just like, you know, what do you like? Ramon, sex pistols. You know, and it's like back and forth, back and forth. And it's like, you know, Motorhead, Motorhead. It's like yeah. Motorhead was the unifying band, you know? So definitely very important within the legacy. David Bowie, though, was important on a national scale. They were important to your grandmother as well as the 16-year-old girl buying Aladdin Sane for the first time. He transcended generations to the point where my own mother was allowed to listen to David Bowie, but not Kiss. Kiss was still the biggest no-no. Apparently, my grandmother did not get a good look at Bowie and what he did on stage. No. Otherwise, she would have had a problem with him, too. But he was the pretty artistic boy. He's just misunderstood. He hit a chord with so many different people to where... On his death, you had vigils around the world singing Starman as they lifted balloons with candles in it up to the sky, you know, in multiple different languages. This man, sure, he changed his look and his image, but that's all part of who he was. You didn't want to see the same era over and over. It's the same reason why Kiss changed their costumes. They kept the same face paint. But they would change the outline of the uh, stage design. They would change their costumes. One of the bands I almost made in my list, Alice Cooper, he went through multiple different eras. He even went through a new wave phase. That only adds to the legacy. And I don't believe that if David Bowie had not gone through his multiple different versions and changes, he would have not been as impactful as he did, as he was. But for the fact he was that weird kid that was willing to push that envelope and create so many hits to the point where he co-sang a song with Freddie Mercury. <laughs> that means something. I don't think Lemmy ever sang a song with Freddie Mercury. No, but he sang with Ice-T. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Even Chris's eyes got wide on that one. He wasn't expecting that pull. The Killer Queen versus Cop Killer. <laughs> really? <laughs> that, that was your pool? That's all I got. Solid. Solid. But goddamn. <laughs> and uh, talking about David Bowie taking a few years to even get on his feet. Well, sure, he did release his first record in 67 that had absolutely zero hits, but it only took two years later for Space Oddity to come out, in which that song immediately did gain a little bit of a cult following, and then he followed it with The Man Who Sold the World. And then Hunky Dory, and then boom, he was immediately into a Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin Sane uh, era. And by that point, he already had eyes on him, and he was creating the image. Did they, so, I don't know. Did David Bowie write Love Me Like a Reptile? No, but he wrote <laughs> Starman. <laughs> he wrote... Good God, okay. We really want to go down that one. <laughs> Let's fucking go. All right, who, who wrote the more absurd We got love Space song. Oddity, Starman, Changes, Surfer Get City, Ziggy Stardust, The Gene Jenny, Rebel Rebel, Fame, Under Pressure, Less Dance, China Girl, Modern Love, Life on Mars, All the Young Dudes, The Man Who Sold the World, Sound and Vision, and those are just only my favorites. Come on. 
on, baby. Eat the rich. Bite down on the son of a bitch. How many times do you hear those on the radio? And how many times do you hear Rebel Rebel on the radio? Motorhead doesn't need the radio. You're right. They don't need the radio. We need the radio for David Bowie because everyone deserves to hear David Bowie. Uh. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Because <laughs> I own the greatest hits of both these fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris is like, I love seeing you two fight. <laughs> yes. Because yes. uh, if I played this game, I would be a lot more meaner. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're also trying to go from like a semi-analytical point because yes. both of us have passion for these different bands. So it's like, exactly. So we know how to like hit the different points. And as soon as you start talking legacy, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not Skip Bayless. I'm not a monster. Hmm. Uh, Mm. I'm just picturing heaven <laughs> in heaven. You've got Lemmy standing just there, just sitting there, plinking away at a guitar, just jamming, smoking a cigarette, smoking a fucking cigarette. You can smoke in heaven; it's your heaven. <laughs> Chilling with Gandhi, whatever the fuck he's hanging out with, and here comes the star man himself. And I gotta say, Rebel Rebel, all the way. <laughs> I mean, we saw that coming. I don't know. I honestly, I was kind of sitting here thinking you might go with Motorhead, which is why I was pouring it on for Bowie. Because <laughs> you distract me more of a Motorhead fan. I fucking am a Motorhead fan. Well, I'll say more of a Motorhead fan. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, mm. <laughs> that's the, that, that's the baby. If I had made my list, mine were just like top five contenders out the gate. And I would have just been like ACDC. <laughs> I, know. I, I, I didn't want any like, uh, yeah, I didn't have ACDC on my list. Arena Rock, enough. baby. Yeah. I only had a couple of Arena Rock bands on my list. Now, this one's a little harder because I kind of hold them even keel in my, just like Motorhead and Bowie. Mm-hmm. You, Alex, must defend Sweet against The Who. Ooh, boof, mm. boof. So I'm starting. Yeah, you okay. gotta defend the sweet. All right, one of the most popular movie franchises right now is the MCU, Marvel, Disney. Everyone goes out to see these movies, and one of the biggest songs attributed to one of these movies is in the trailer, even for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One. You hear. And it's Fox on the Run, baby. They decided that a sweet song was going to head up a brand new era of Marvel with Guardians of the Galaxy. The first time they have done a movie that's weird and spacey and really out there. A talking raccoon and a talking tree? Marvel hadn't done this yet. And they picked Sweet along with a huge list of awesome 60s and 70s bands to push forward this new era of Marvel. So not only did Sweet have Fox on the Run and Ballroom Blitz, which also gets tons of massive radio airplay, with Sweet and other bands, even including Thin Lizzy, the pioneers of that dual guitar harmony stuff that you hear replicated in so much music, you even hear it in Sweet. And in songs like Desolation Boulevard, that's not Desolation Boulevard, um, Set Me Free. 
That song was recorded in 1971, and by the time you reached the guitar solo on that bit, you think you're transported to 82 listening to some power metal track. These motherfuckers were doing shit way before it was even cool and popular, and they just never got the recognition for it. Andy Scott is an amazing vocalist, and no one ever talks about just how powerful the dude's voice is. Do we care about what Sweet's doing today? No, they look like a bunch of little Hot Topic kids. But nothing can beat Fox on the Run, Ballroom Blitz, Set Me Free, Desolation Boulevard. Just with a single record, there are so many hits on that record. You just It can't be beat. It's the whole situation with like the Sex Pistols. You go over quality over quantity. I go quality. And that single record from Sweet holds more rock and roll power in it than so many other records of their contemporaries. Here's the Stephen A. Smith moment where I go, who the fuck are you? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all I'm thinking. Yes. <laughs> With, uh, I'm, it's, I'm, it's so good that Sweet is in popular culture these days through one Marvel movie. <laughs> I, because I wish that they were more popular than that. These songs are great. But you hear Baba O'Reilly, Won't Get Fooled Again, and what's the other, other song you? of the album? What's that? Who Are You? You hear those on insurance commercials. You've been hearing these. You've been hearing that Roger Daltrey, uh, Roger Daltrey scream from Won't Get Fooled Again. It's a meme at this point from CSI... NCIS, whatever the fuck cop show that my parents watch, where uh, fucking what's-his-nuts takes off his sunglasses and makes a pun, and then there's that rock, yeah! the, the top five greatest screams in rock and roll history, that Roger Daltrey scream and won't get fooled again. And that just speaks to the, the power. It's like the MC5 uh, argument where like there's a power to the who that's never going to get replicated, whether it's on record or live. And I love that Desolation Boulevard album from, from Sweet, but with the Who, you've got you've got Who's Next, you've got Quadrophenia, you've got the rock opera Tommy. Hell, I'll even throw uh, a quick one, which is a which is a weird, convoluted story of uh, somebody cheating on his wife, or the wife cheating on the husband, because that's just how what Pete Townsend like to write about a lot. I don't well, we, I know why I've read about all this kind of stuff too. <laughs> Pete Townsend's a very complicated individual, but that's not what the debate's about. It's Keith all Moon's about not. what's that? Keith Moon's not. <laughs> he's pretty straightforward what the fuck yeah. he wants <laughs> monster but no Keith but uh, The Who is one of those bands that who's, that uh, with songs written by T- Pete Townsend that are continued to be played and shared and celebrated today iconic mm-hmm. and will forever and will forever be in the pop culture probably uh, you know consciousness you know and among I feel rock like and roll even, bands and I feel like even with that one record even before Guardians of the Galaxy you had Ballroom Blitz I mean, even Jane's Addiction, I think, covered Ballroom Blitz. Everybody's and, covered Ballroom Blitz. I, I heard it on car commercials. It's like, I know that that shuffly little guitar, uh, guitar, yeah, shuffly the drum or the drums uh, intro. <laughs> it's like, that has been used so much. So I, I do, it's like, I'll, I'll concede with, you know, they had more records that had great hits. But again, quality over quantity you 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 hit the nail on the head with the meme thing but you never know what's going to turn into a meme like the like king of the hill has been bubbling in the background as a meme until like maybe the last four years where it finally exploded so it's like you never know what's going to become a meme how do you use an accidental thing 
to compare legacy. All Even right, for, though that's a great one, you never know what meme culture is going to grab. That They never did it with Ballroom Blitz, and still, it's a huge popular song. And so it, so are songs like Pinball Wizard and Bob O'Reilly, once again, even outside of TV shows, uh, Won't Get Fold Again. Um, All right. <laughs> Both arguments are very clear. <laughs> okay. I will say, just mentioning Pinball Wizard is a solid one. <laughs> However, Robert Daughtry, it is his generation. <laughs> my, 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 my generation. <laughs> Felt that one coming, but it's okay. It's I was just okay. going to do who the fuck are you, but he wasn't going to say it. <laughs> so, so far, we have eight bands who have made it to the next round. Yes. Ramones, Black Sabbath, Kiss, Rolling Stones, The Stooges, The Misfits, Mr. Bowie, and Robert Daltrey and The Who. Roger mm. Daltrey. Whatever. <laughs> Rod. <laughs> All right, Cap. We are in the next round, almost. Okay. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine battles left for mm. this episode. So you must defend the band against Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Ooh, ooh. All right. You can use special tactics like Bob Dylan or Stevie Nicks. <laughs> <laughs> however, however, you want to pull the knife out. You know, it's like. <laughs> I choose you, Dom Dylan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I choose you, crazy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the, I put the band on my list because they're one of those groups that really opened, uh, that really uh, got, I hate the term Americana, but they were kind of the first band in that time period to really celebrate that style of music. Roots music, mm-hmm. if you will. Played by a bunch of Canadians <laughs> and one drummer from Arkansas. Real genuine. <laughs> Levon Helm. Levon Helm, one of the most genuine motherfuckers in music. Rest in peace. Don't but, not Canadians. I see you making that note face. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Canadians. If CCR would have been on my list and would have, John Fogarty would have stabbed Fuck for you. Fuck CCR! <laughs> well, see, I, did, I knew not to put them on because they faked all their shit. Oh, at the real end, genuine motherfuckers on my list. <laughs> at the end of this, I will be presenting my list. Oh. Oh, okay. And none of you have got one of them on mine. Really? No. All right. But but with, go ahead. The but, band. But with the <laughs> band... They're one of those great, you know, roots music players. It's a great. It's a collection of like studio musicians that mm-hmm. really liked that uh, played on Bob Dylan records and uh, let's say um, uh, Ronnie Hawkins records and things like that. That really enjoyed making music together. So they wanted to go out and tour and record as their own identity. And uh, the record and I love like say songs from the Pink House mm-hmm. and things like that where they're all just in a room. This is like the band is like one of those studio nerd musician great bands to listen to. That you know the same argument could be made for like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, but with the band they're they're so they're celebrated as hard by or as much by Tom Brady uh, Tom Brady Tom Petty yeah that's what he listens to take yes. a load off Brady <laughs> take a lot off Brady but if you watch the last waltz concert mm-hmm. on YouTube or on DVD or anywhere wherever you can find it I don't know if it's on YouTube I have it on DVD but if you watch that that's probably one of the greatest showcases in rock and roll visually and performance wise to ever be recorded in my opinion they have um they're on stage with Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Ronnie Wood, Bob Dylan, Ringo, 
uh, Eric Clapton, just a all-star cast. Uh, Neil Diamond, fucking Van Morrison's on there too, and they're the backing band for all these guys. And it's some of the best versions of like some of your favorite songs from that time period or from that Tin Pan for anybody that's into like say the Tin Pan Alley kind of yeah. era of like songwriters and stuff like that. They just play those brilliantly. And you have guys like say Garth Hudson who could play a clavinet and a fucking uh, organ and anything and uh, anything with keys. Say if he had three keyboards around him, he could play all of those at the same time. You've got Levon Helm who is, you know, uh, like the guy from Arkansas that I mentioned, and he sings on Cripple Creek and the night they drove old Dixie down, where uh, he's playing mm. all these kind of like R and B licks and stuff like that with this really strong, you know, Southern singing voice that really kind of helps identify this group of Canadians as a solid American sounding band, whether they're playing blues or country or you know roots music fault they could do it all at that time period you know this is before heavy metal or anything like that so this was kind of like the benchmark of like a group of players that really knew their shit and uh, you got robbie robertson who wrote all the songs and could play you know run circles around guys like eric clapton at the time and there's even one part in the uh, last waltz dock where eric clapton's strap falls off on his guitar and Robbie Robertson has to cover cover for him and I'd argue that he plays you know tighter than Clapton does on that show and you know I think it's uh, one of those bands that is not celebrated enough that absolutely needs to be especially if you're into roots music and uh, just 70s rock music in general well Solid. I'm, I'm I'm really glad you gave us a history Dixie lesson because I'm sitting here going who the fuck are these guys that's your problem <laughs> <laughs> because here's the thing you listen off all don't these, listen to this fucking youngin because you, you listen <laughs> off all these legacy famous people and what do they have to show for oh Eric Clapton's guitar strap fell off oh I get the solo for him that, okay that's the, one of the big accomplishments of these days what I thought I put I, I thought I had a hard pull with G GBH. <laughs> Motherfuckers at least know Cripple who GBH is. The night they drove old Dixie down. I'm sorry. If I, I could hold up. Let's see. Any time. Take a, a say the weights. That's an iconic song. Let's let's go outside and ask ten people and be like, have you heard of someone called the band? Get and away. then immediately follow it up with, with have get you away heard? from me, Whitey. <laughs> <laughs> get away from me, Cracker. <laughs> and then as I'm running away, go, but have you heard of Tom Petty? And, no, I will not name three bands with a shirt. Name songs with a t-shirt. My point being is, you could ask ten people on the street if they've heard of the band or Tom Petty, and you're going to get more people saying they know who Tom Petty is than the band. And I think that alone is an intro part of my argument. It kind of sets the tone. Tom Petty was one of the most prolific songwriters throughout the decades, and it took a long enough time for me to even realize who the fuck it was singing some of these songs. Because you would hear songs on the radio, and you're like, okay, yeah, don't back, won't back down. Okay, of course, that's Tom Petty, you know. Love that Johnny Cash song. Yeah, yeah, or You you Wreck Me. It's like, okay, yeah, you kind of know that's uh, uh, Tom Petty. But then you start hearing stuff like Breakdown, and you're like, ooh. This is a little something different. And you don't immediately, when you're hearing it on the radio as a kid, draw that line to Tom Petty because you're used to won't back down. You know, so then you hear something like Saving Grace and you're like, ooh, this has this cool little bouncy blues riff to it. And he's kind of doing a little something different with his vocals. And you got the keys in the back or the organ rather. It's all this cool shit. 
And then you've got American Girl, Wildflower. And again, the last DJ, that song alone goes to show that the motherfucker started all the way back in the 70s and he's coming out in the 90s and late 2000s with amazing material that stands up to the classic material. A songwriter that, again, was held in the same ranks as David Bowie as when he passed away, multiple people mourning his death. Who the fuck is the band? It's like coming as someone that's called the Fillins. I get it. They're a backing band. So what a backing band does not compare to an artist musician of someone like Tom Petty's caliber that also used his own backing band as Johnny Cash's own band during those American recording sessions. That's so, just Johnny Cash. Right, but that band was damn good enough for the man in black, Johnny Cash, to be like, sir, I want you to be my backing band, and we'll even cover won't back down, and you sing it with me. That is the power of Tom Petty. Not, uh, I don't have any argument with any of that other than I would say the Heartbreakers and Tom Petty himself probably listened to that uh, Pink Help, that uh, Pink Room record and took a lot from it. I'd American argue Girl. I'd argue <laughs> Robbie Robert. That means I would love to see Robbie Robertson and Mike Campbell play a guitar together. That would be fucking awesome. Yeah. Live, Chris from, made his- live from the Hollywood Bowl, the band finished their set. And as Tom Petty strolls off the stage with American Girl, straight to heaven he goes and straight to the next round. Oh! <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> and fun fact, that was his last performance. The it, Hollywood was. Bowl. Mm-hmm. it was. It mm. was. Mm-hmm. Good show. Because mm-hmm. it's bootlegged on YouTube. This one. You got a lot of kicking to do on this one, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Social distortion mm-hmm. versus what is arguably critically acclaimed the Beatles. <laughs> okay. All right. Rubber Souls playing. Social distortion gets on stage. Who the fuck are these fucks? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Give us a little history. Uh, like, in, in for the, someone in, who doesn't listen to social distortion, yes. what are they? They are a classic uh, punk rock band formed in the early 80s. And one of their claim to fame was they were one of the few punk bands along with, I had to pull it up. I should have thought about that earlier. Along with a handful of other bands that actually decided we're going to go on tour and we're going to video this. And they created an entire tour documentary called Another State of Mind. And what they did is they bought this abandoned, like this old retired school bus, gutted the whole thing, put shelving in it, put bedding in it, and this band and like these three bands went on tour with a video camera and just filmed the entire process. So from day one, these guys were DIY to the bone, doing everything they could just to even make it through. And then Mike Ness gets thrown in jail for a handful of years, comes out clean, sober, and they create arguably one of the biggest rock and roll records from 1990, their self-titled record, Social Distortion, which included their cover of Ring of Fire and the song Ball and Chain, which you will hear everyone play the guitar to because it's basically, what's the Rolling Stones song? It's fucking uh, Dead Flowers. It's Dead Flowers. It's a redo of Dead Flowers. But but everyone knows that. Take away, take away, take away this ball and chain. Everyone knows that. There for a period of time, you could not go to an open mic night, at least here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and not hear some motherfucker play that song. It became a huge hit. And then 
for subsequent records like White Light, White Heat, White Trash, they even had people like Chuck Biscuits from the old Danzig records and classic punk rock drummer playing on this stuff. So now he's got this powerhouse group of people. And again, if we want to talk about longevity, the skeleton with the fedora smoking a cigarette with the martini glass, that's right there next to the Misfits logo of like almost overused logos. Like it became obsessive for a while, especially in the rockabilly community, because Social Distortion was not only a punk rock band, they kind of moved into a little bit of rock and roll. And then Mike Ness split off by himself and started doing country rockabilly. And then they kind of pushed that back into the band some. And you know, and they are still going out on tour with bands like. Foo Fighters going and headlining festivals. They're about to release another record they've been threatening for the last four years, so maybe one day it'll come out. So it's like these guys are not only still prolific, have their own signature guitar, and Mike Ness has his own signature guitar coming out from Gibson for $20,000. You do not get a $20,000 Gibson guitar your own custom model if you didn't do something right in the music community. I might have made that number up, but it's probably It's close to it. It's close to that. I, I rolled with it. It was a ridiculous so, number. Uh, social Distortion and Mr. Biscuits versus the Beatles. Versus, versus well... Social. One of the over, most overrated bands ever. See, you got Social Distortion, which is... Alex takes s- calls between three and four every day. Please, please give him a call. Maybe I yes. need to uh, turn the uh, the hotline number on again and right. start taking voicemails. Yeah. See, Social Distortion is essentially just Mike Ness. And, you know, Chuck Biscuits is more or less a session player. He's played on some great records and has toured with some great people. But it's essentially Mike Ness. The Beatles are a four are a four-headed monster. With uh, Ringo properly, you know, it's joked about that Ringo's kind of, you know, the, the lesser best of in the, the band. four. Exactly. <laughs> but he has a vibe, and he wrote songs as well. You've got a group of four songwriters that took their craft seriously. They not, could not only write songs, but they all could play multiple instruments and uh, enough to where they became just a hardcore studio band after a certain amount of years to where they just would try everything in the studio and just throw everything against the wall and see what would stick but they would uh, always make sure the song was good first like can you play it on a piano and sing it by yourself can you play it on an acoustic guitar and sing it sing it by yourself before you play you know put your tapes on backwards or put your all your uh, layered fuzzes on this that and the other yeah they made sure that the songs were great first before they could uh, and uh, that the vocal performances were all good these were guys that you know happened to be really good at what they did and made you know album after album single after single of just you know stuff of ear candy you know everybody jokes you know everybody wants to say the beatles are overrated or like uh they're because they are yep well the like everybody knows at least 10 beatles songs though every guy that's uh you know has like a curiosity about music knows at least 10 beatles songs and like what alex was saying earlier with social distortion you have you know uh ball and chain and a Johnny Cash cover. So, <laughs> and so then you have uh, with the Beatles, you have you know hits for days, you have albums for days, you have you know personalities for days, which uh, you know that's kind of uh, you know that's my defense against that specific argument. I will say, you brought a gun to a knife fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're so low on your list. And they're so low on your list as well. <laughs> and my disdain for four-part harmony. Uh, what? No, dis- don't let that taint, taint it. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's disgusting. Uh, I have to say, 
I can't let the Beatles lose to social distortion. (laughs) I don't think anybody could. (laughs) I I thought I had that one in the bag because you hate the Beatles so much. But they're still the Beatles. (sighs) I'm ready to defend them against like somebody higher up. I know. That's going to get interesting. And I will bring up the lineup as soon as we get down to it. We have one, two, three, six more battles to go. All right. Cap. Mm Mm-hmm. God damn it. <laughs> and you better bring your fucking A game. <laughs> Who, me? Yeah. Because I love this band. You need to defend Rush from Blondie. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> you need to take that Canadian selfishness rock <laughs> and defend it from tits out over here. <laughs> That's like comparing uh, shrimp to like fucking steak. <laughs> All right. Uh, Surf and turf. Yeah. Surf and turf. <laughs> Live from the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, as far as, you know, list. It's like, where do you start with debating Rush against Blondie? Working man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's start. Yeah. Let's start with the first, even before Neil Peart. <laughs> yes. Getty Lee. Yeah. You've got guitar players that are still wanting to learn that particular riff from Working Man, but no guitar players are wanting to learn any song from Blondie. Who the fuck wants to learn a Blondie song on guitar? They're great songs, but. I don't know, but uh, you got. What is it about Rush that makes them better than Blondie? Uh, musicianship, for one, where they only had like uh, with Rush, it's only three guys: it's a bass player, guitar player, and a drummer. Concise. Yes, yeah, that are uh, taking chances and uh, making, uh, trying out new things with their instruments to make you know experimental music, to make uh, to create vibes, to create some, uh, create soundscapes, if you will, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it got a little much at times, but... Because right, they read Iron Rand and went nuts. Yes, basically. <laughs> they didn't like who they were becoming as people, as Getty Lee was, was saying. But they dialed it back in, and they started listening to songs like uh, about songs by uh, bands probably like Blondie, like The Police, and learned how to write a song cohesively and put things together like Spirit of the Radio and Tom Sawyer, and still be able to showcase their abilities and their um, their technicalities, and still make it accessible to the listener and everything too, and still make you dance to an extent, even though like uh, you don't lose the time signature part. Like say in Spirit of the Radio, where uh, there's a tempo where uh, it kind of goes from like a then it goes into a reggae beat, then it goes back to the hard rock beat, but you don't lose that feel because it's still it's so fluid, it's so flawless. And Blondie can't do that. Uh, I will say, um, these are both the best songs. And Blondie 2, of course, is the best music to do Coke 2. Yeah. <laughs> but Alex, I need you to show me that Tom Sawyer has a heart of glass. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> I'll kick it off by saying, Cap was saying that I will say, Blond- fuck you, Cap, for putting Rush that far down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, saying that. Uh, Rush was important because they were creating new things and Blondie just couldn't do that. Well, sir, I strongly disagree with that. I'm talking about with the technical abilities. I agree. They may have come off with their first record with songs like X Offender, which is just basically glorified power pop. But then, only a record or two later... Don't you, you talk shit about glorified you, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying that is what it is, though. But a few albums later on Parallel Lines, it kicks off with Hanging on the Telephone, a 
rock and roll ripper that starts having a little bit that extra synthesizer tone to it. And then just a few tracks later, you've got Heart of Glass, a song that doesn't sound anything like the previous things that you've been doing before. You want to talk about doing new stuff? All of a sudden, they started wrapping in the vibes of the discotheque into the underground rock scene, bridging an interesting gap, which would later be very beneficial for Debbie Harry moving into the 80s because it was very easy for her to transition into a new wave singer-songwriter type. Blondie didn't typecast themselves as strictly a punk rock band. They could play with the Ramones one weekend and then play with Devo the next and television the next. It's like they, they've positioned themselves to where they worked with the punk rock crowd, they worked with the avant-garde weird kids, and they worked with the techno kids. And not only that, Russ Ward himself even said that Blondie was one of the first times he heard rap on mainstream radio. Now, Blondie may have not created rap, but the song Rapture was one of the first times a song like that was heard by so many people. And it wasn't her trying to grab the genre and whitewash it. She had an appreciation for it growing up in New York and hearing the new thing that's happening. And she wanted to stay cool and hip with the trends. And that was where that song came from. So not only was she a pioneer within strong female artists coming up in a male-dominated world of the 70s, she only also shined a spotlight on the black community and the new music they were creating and wanted to uplift it and not take it as her own, something we don't see a lot from modern pop stars of today. And I'm not even talking about all their big popular hits. I rest my case. See, now Debbie's got bars. (laughs) But if you listen to the song Roll the Bones... In the 80s period of Rush, there's some serious bars on that too. But who's and, talking about that song? But much who's talking about that song, Cap? But much like uh, Blondie in the 80s, and how they had to uh, adapt to trends in the 80s, Rush did too. Some would say, you know, it's their lesser period, but not really. Blondie broke up in the 80s. I'm talking about Rush. But but you said Blondie had to adapt. No, they broke up, and Debbie went by herself. Well, there you go. Rush has uh, learned to adapt and learned to continue to be a unit and learn to put out. <laughs> And learn to continue to you know adapt with the times and be and continue to be experimental. Again, that's debated as to how uh, good it actually was. It's very synth driven because Getty Lee and Neil were listening to a lot of you know Police and a lot of '80s you know synth pop kind of stuff. But you know they come then it all comes back around to where um, you know they didn't stop being a thing. They kept persevering, much like Kiss did in the '80s, where they kind of had their lull. And they're kind of their down period, but they also uh, kept uh, they kept forging ahead and still kept making music to where you know in the '90s when every big tour was getting announced, Rush was on the forefront of that uh, that uh, rebirth. I will put "Dreaming" up against any Rush song and see what gets more play on the radio. Over Tom Sawyer, I don't know. Tom Sawyer is kind of one of those universal songs too. You hear Tom Sawyer at every sporting event, especially hockey. And you don't hear as soon as you turn on the radio and click around a little bit, dreaming, dreaming. You hear Tom Sawyer about as much as dreaming. (laughs) I do, at least with my radio stations. That or call me. I hear that and call me a lot. Or one way or the other. So you hear. uh, Or one way or the other. One way or the other. That's another. That's used in a Swiffer commercial. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But 
But Rush is kind of celebrated as like more of of the outsider band too. Where it's like the thing about Rush is that that's kind of like uh, I hate to compare it to Kiss again, but it's the same thing. Where like it's part of like an underground, you know, isolated outsider uh, culture. Where this is my band, you know, because everybody else in my school fucking hates this band, but I love this band because. It uh, you know, it speaks to me in a way through like, and uh, I can appreciate, and it makes me want to pick up a guitar, makes me want to pick up a pair of drumsticks, and learn how to become a better musician. Where it's, you know, I don't get that with Blondie. With Blondie, it's different. It's like it makes you want to, you know, do coke in a bathroom or something like that. <laughs> and and? Uh, disco dancing. <laughs> and you know, it makes you want to do different music. Makes you want to do different things. <laughs> mm, tough decision. I know. He got a couple good ones in on that last bit of the argument. I thought I was doing good to the last little bit. Call me, call me, but I got to choose free will. Oh! <laughs> Oof. Upset. That's the first time one of my tops did not make it through. I think that is a legit upset. Yep. Now, Cap, you defended Rush. You have to mm. defend the Dwarves. Yes. To the New York Dolls. I will say out the gate, I don't know these bands that well, except for the dwarves is a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> you guys have the floor. The dwarves. If you guys just want to go outside and fight real quick, <laughs> and whoever comes back, you know, he can walk to a straight yeah. line, I think that'd be better. <laughs> There's only one way to settle this debate <laughs> knock down Dragon <laughs> in the Pine Needles. <laughs> As the dwarves have said themselves, the dwarves are young and good looking. They love their blood, guts, and pussy. They know how to influence friends and influence people. They must die and be born again. They not only invented rock and roll, but they will take back the night. The dwarves are one of the greatest underground punk rock, rock and roll legends that anyone will ever have the absolute pleasure of letting their eardrums listen to not only do they know how to create rock and roll they know how to create good punk rock they've created even for this hat rap hating motherfucker black can spit some fucking bars and there are some rap songs the dwarves have done that i've sat back and went huh you know objectively that's actually not fucking bad they have an image black knows how to command an audience you've got he who cannot be named a motherfucker with fucking spike bracelets on a luchador mask and nothing else running around on stage like a madman creating awesome music and not only that nick oliveri from queens of the stone age has been part of this band since the early 2000s even adding celebrity quote-unquote credibility credibility to this underground band that has kind of been on the footnote of history much like the misfits have for a very long time due to the fact they've never played by the rules and they never will play by the rules their logo is a skull with two dicks underneath this the skull and crossboners that right there gives you an image of who the dwarves are you take a look at the record. It's literally naked girls and dwarves. It's like you know you're getting into and some, blood and blood. And you well, except for come clean, that was bubbles. Oh. <laughs> That's why I was so specific with the girls and the dwarves because it has changed a little bit. So it's like they create. Like I was saying, the punk rock songs they make aren't just in your face. Blah, 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 blah. There's songwriting, there's craftsmanship that go into these songs, and frankly, they deserve to be more well-known than they are, but 
I don't think Black's really complaining considering they also just got off a tour with Richie Ramone. When you get on a tour with a Ramone and when you're doing punk rock bowling and when you're doing all the other cool shit, it's really hard to complain about not really being in the history books. So for a band that has written so many catchy songs, has such an awesome stage presence and a legacy across multiple different popular record companies and even has a former member of Queens of the Stone Age in the band... I'm honestly surprised not more people talk about them. The dwarves definitely deserve to have more of a uh, a cultural landmark in the in the history of punk rock. Rock, I think, very underrated band, super outrageous. Also, like like he was saying, there's naked girls on every dwarves album cover. Very punk rock, right? The New York Dolls <laughs> were being super outrageous and basically kind of forming the punk rock ethos and uh, aesthetic, you know, by accident and influenced the, everybody, a, lot of, a bunch of folks we've mentioned on this list already, the Ramones, Blondie, the Dwarves, you know, that all comes from the New York Dolls in the early 70s where, you know, back then, they could just it's easily been written off as like a bad parody of the Rolling Stones. But what they did was uh, they took their lack of, you know, say, a musical prowess and formed this I talk about how a lot of these legacy bands and all these bands that uh, are uh, more impactful more often than not are this odd soup this collective of folks that have you know personality wise may not necessarily work together you know as friends or anything like that but when they play together they made something truly special and truly unique and that's what the uh, New York Dolls did they were like you know like I was mentioning they kind of uh, upon first class you know it's a bunch of uh, you know it's a bad version of the Rolling Stones like in drag but when you got got but through that you have players like Johnny Thunders who took that Keith Richards persona and his uh, single cutaway uh, Les Paul Jr. and just cranked it to ten and made a really, really, uh, just like really gnarly, buzzy, you know, P90 guitar tone out of it and made, uh, you know, uh, aggressive music. It's kind of like the um, argument with the MC5 where it's more aggressive. The songs are, and the songs are catchy. They still wanted to write catchy songs, much like the Dwarves wanted to do too. Yeah, and half how the many time. records did the uh, New York Dolls have? Two. Two. They only needed two. <laughs> they only needed Two, it's like the Sex Pistols argument where like they only needed like this one or like these uh, one or two records to really like stay within the uh, collective consciousness of like musicians that are still putting out records and still making records today. Green Day takes a lot from the New York Dolls. The Ramones took a lot from the New York Dolls. Blondie takes stuff from the from the New York Dolls. The Dwarves take everything from the New York Dolls. <laughs> Don't you dare bring up early Dwarves into this conversation. Just listen to the... All you need is that first New York Dolls record when you're listening and songs like Personality Crisis and Trash and Looking for a Kiss and it's that uh, thing... It's a combination of that you know that dirty punk rock aggressiveness with that little little touch of like glam rock too that they took from David Bowie as well so imagine just like you know if Ziggy Stardust was just you know yeah but that can be so lame and tame but, why but don't you replace Ziggy's, that with blood guts and pussy instead but it's Ziggy Stardust coming out like you know one of those blood guts and pussy records where like the makeup's all smeared <laughs> and there's like coke hanging out of his nose I don't think and the New York like Dolls that. ever had uh, uh, girls hanging from fucking meat hooks on the back of their back swinging from the stage not on stage <laughs> who knows what the fuck they were doing off stage you didn't, you, have, you didn't have he who like doing fire breathing shit like gene simmons you read uh please kill me you know you find about all kinds of weird shit with new york dolls but i say the new york dolls were 
uh, reign supreme over the dwarves in legacy and just like, you know, just that kind of a... I mean, an airhead. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> now, with the New York Dolls, it's that it's like the same argument with like the Stooges. It's like uh, it's just the raw aggression that just you know blew people's minds when they were looking for something different. That's the thing about the New York Dolls and bands like that. They were something different for people in that time period, and still are something different for people looking for something. Uh, that other than what they're hearing on the radio or what they're watching on TV and just, you know, it's outside the norm. The New York Dolls continue to be that oddball group of oddballs that... And the dwarves aren't? The dwarves... <laughs> All right, I've made a decision. <laughs> All right. And I'm sorry, Jet Boy. Oh, boy. Midges and tits took it. <laughs> <laughs> Always. I feel bad on that one. <laughs> okay. It's hard, to, it's hard to win against midgets and tits. It was an upset, though, I will say. All right. Alex. Mm. That one was hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't go there. Yeah. Alex, you got us. You got a def- or no, no, you do, you were on the offense on this one, right? On this last one? No, you defended. Yeah, yeah no, you, he you, defended you, first. You yeah. first. You first. All right. <laughs> Uh oh, he's giving me a look. I need you to defend Van Halen against Thin Lizzy. Oh boy! <laughs> Call Sammy. <laughs> so that's one of those. Uh, which one of your uh, children is your favorite? All right. Well, picture yourself. It's not Van Hagar. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's all Roth in this debate. <laughs> oh, oh! In the beginning, you were like, I could do both. I could do band both. to band. And then right, now, when on. it's down to Thin Lizzy, you're like, No, 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 never mind. <laughs> also, I think someone's trying to drive old Emerald down. <laughs> all right. So, n- <laughs> all right. So picture yourself in 1977, where uh, you're listening to, uh, you know, basically just where 1977. Uh, Give me a location. Charlotte, North Carolina. Ugh. <laughs> Anywhere. Welcome to LA. And you're listening. To, <laughs> and you're listening to you know, hard rock consistently on a on, on a consistent basis. You're like a hard rock guy. You're a heavy metal kid. You're driving in your like uh, your Camino, smoking your pot and not shaving. And uh, you're listening to Black Sabbath and Sweet and uh, Thin Lizzy on the regular. And you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. I like these guitar sounds. But then you hear us. You hear this uh, new group that has these dive bombs. You have these. Uh, you, ha- you hear these new sounds, not only with the guitar, but just you know, just these big sounding productions with all these, with, with these songs that are just that just grab you, and it's all in ten the whole time. That's the thing about that first Van Halen record. It's everything is just on ten, and it's not necessarily heavy metal. It's rock and roll. But it's everything, like I was saying, the guitar playing's dialed up to 11. David Lee Roth's personality is just dialed up to 11. The uh, rhythm section is catching up with all that. So by proxy, they have to be turned up to 11. And it still sounds like a party. Yeah. That's the thing about those first Van Halen records. There's like, it's just a big party, but everybody's just, you know, playing their ass off. And everybody's, you know, just kind of, you know, David Lee Roth's, you know, flexing his ass off. And that was like their whole whole vibe. It was like what David Lee Roth said in a quote one time. We want Van Halen to be just a big wet t-shirt contest. <laughs> well, while you're hot for teacher, what are you drinking in that jar? <clears throat> I got a little whiskey, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I will combat the extreme playing of Van Halen and go, 
Yeah, that is pretty impressive watching him play all those crazy notes and watching everyone jump around and do all this nutty, nutty stuff. But at the same time, when you can play a song like Jailbreak or Boys in Back in Town and have this swagger about you to where it looks effortless rocking this shit out, that to me is way more impactful than a guy running around. You got fucking Phil Sand up there just rocking that bass, and he's got this look on his face. His stance is still. He's not running around, but he is commanding that portion of the stage. And you know with every note he plays, he means every single one. And you better pay attention to every single one, because guess what? The boys are back in town. And if you don't watch your ass, it's going to be a jailbreak, and we're going to kick it. And, we, and it's just that band alone. I kind of used it a little bit in the sweet argument, but it's a lot more relevant here. Anytime you hear a dual guitar harmony on anything, what's the first per- what's the first thing you say? Oh, wow, that sounds really Thin Lizzy. Is that warranted? No. There are so many other bands that do it. But Thin Lizzy, with especially Boys Are Back in Town, is with the... You hear so many bands lift that oddly irish as they are kind of influence that all of a sudden just kind of clicks and it's all of a sudden classic rock and roll and every band and i guarantee you even van halen alex van halen listen to that riff and went you know i'm gonna learn that and then it just progressed him into a bigger and bigger bigger guitarist to the point where he lost the plot he lost the plot of, oh, I play the big A chord and get these motherfuckers to show me their tits. Instead, I'm going to overwork my fingers and make these songs really crazy with the hop for teacher. See, <laughs> see, I don't think he lost the boat with that. I think he can do, he played, did both very well. So much so that everybody after Van Halen lost the boat. You talk about how Thin Lizzy influenced an entire generation of players to do dual harmonies and write melodic pieces, which is all great and awesome and I love, but literally everybody copied Van Halen after that first record came out. Like the era of like big power chords and Chuck Berry licks was gone in popular music after Van Halen. And you know, I hate that too. It's like the argument of like we wouldn't have a Creed without Nirvana. Nirvana, <laughs> you know, Nirvana's responsible for a lot of good things, but they're responsible for a lot of bad things. Much like Van Halen, much like the Beatles, much like every popular band ever, you yeah. know. But uh, Van Halen influenced and shaped a sound for an entire decade. And, you know, Thin Lizzy... Yeah, a decade versus a generation. Well, generations are still... <laughs> well, then you had generation of the 80s that kind of took what Van Halen did and, uh, you know, that did... And expanded it huge, but then what happened in the 90s? Well, you had... uh, What happened in the 90s, Cap? Well, Nirvana happened, that's Uh what... And it died off, but then there's that resurgence of like all that shreddy, you know, no-tone-having guitar bands in the early 2000s that learned how to play Eruption when they were kids. But the first thing that happened was the revival of the classic bands. ACDC was bigger and badder than ever. Kiss was doing their reunion tour. All of a sudden, classic rock was in the forefront again, which meant... Thin Lizzy and boys are back in town and jailbreak and all that's getting Phil played White on the radio. Dead by <laughs> but he's getting played on the radio. It's so is Van re- Halen. But it's getting a resurgence. No, Van Halen's going to be a few years later with the fucking 80s hair metal trend that happened in the mid-2000s. No, Van Halen in the late 90s, they were, they were like the only band that would not buy that reunion dollar because they hated each other so much. Exactly. They waited <laughs> till the thousands. 
Yeah, the, that was Sammy Hagar <laughs> in the mid two thousands. Van Halen's a very complicated band as far exactly. as minutia, as far as like you want to learn like about Kiss. Thin Lizzy. It's, like it's so much easier. It's like Kiss with all the minutia as to who hates who and what part of the decade and shit like that. <laughs> Chris is Chris raising is his gravel <laughs> as as great as Eddie Van Halen is, and Thin Lizzy. This is a hard one, I will say. Classic rock, hair metal, whatever the fuck you want to call it, all gets played on the Fox eventually. Oh yeah, and you might as well jump away from an Irish car bomb. Go thin, Lizzie. <laughs> <laughs> Slick. <laughs> that was good. Yes. Just cite me out for a second. All right. Who who, who started first on that one? I'm sorry. Uh, I I, I did, yeah. You better be good at this. <laughs> Put on your Shannon Sharp. Super suckers. Defend them. Put them on the offense. Whatever you got to do <laughs> against the stadium rock band Queen. All right. And I know how you feel about Queen. I'm okay. a fan of the Super Suckers. But go ahead. I'm formulating. All right. Formulating. <clears throat> Plotting. With the Super Suckers, not only do you get rock and roll, but you also get country. Something that you have seen kind of repeat itself throughout these lists. It seems like a lot of the rock and roll bands we pick also kind of hinge a little bit on the country. So you see bands that are multifaceted. So that doesn't really seem like a good argument I can run into because Queen is also very multifaceted. The problem I have with something like comparing a Super Suckers to a Queen is the Super Suckers are a rock and roll band. Queen is not. Queen is not a rock and roll band. They have rock and roll songs, but I do not consider them a rock and roll band. In fact, I've said it before, I'll say it again, and people can argue me to the day I die. That is totally fine. This is the Freddie Mercury band, and this band can do anything. They can do crazy radio pop. They can do operatic, you know, soundtracks. Good God, if I hear that Flash song one more time, I'm going to lose my shit. That's the one. <laughs> yes! And, and then they'll go off and write a goofy song like Bicycle. So it's like, yes, they, they can do a wide range of things. Just because you can do a wider range of things doesn't necessarily mean you should. Now, I can give Queen this. I've seen some live footage that, like, yes, Freddie Mercury is an amazing frontman. I can't take that away. He is a great frontman. But when you want to take an entire band that is fine-tuned, a well-oiled machine, the Super Suckers have proven themselves time and time again to put on the greatest rock and roll show you can ask for. Now, later years, maybe not so much, but in their prime and even some of the early shows I got to see, some of the most hardest-hitting rock and roll shows I've been to. And... Eddie is a hilarious personality. He's serious when he needs to, but he's got the little quips. It's kind of like a comedy routine. He's got the little lines he knows he's going to say, like song called Rock and Roll Records Aren't Selling This Year. He's like, we like rock and roll songs. We like playing rock and roll songs that are like rock and roll songs. And we like playing rock and roll songs that are about rock and roll songs. And so it's like, you know, he'll kind of feed into it. And they've got the fake encore where he just talks and makes fun of the encore 
giving the rest of the band a chance to breathe, which is actually what the purpose of an encore is. So he is a constant showman. Is he getting up there in a cape running around with a microphone? No, but he doesn't have to. Again, it's the same thing like Thin Lizzy. The super suckers can command a stage, and you are invested from the moment they start playing to the very end of Born With The Tail when you're flying that middle finger, giving it the big fuck you to the greatest underground rock and roll band you could ask for, the Super Suckers. So you mentioned how Queen is basically just a Freddie Mercury uh, project. I would say not so fast because Freddie Mer- for, cause Queen from the 70s through the 80s up until Freddie's death was four guys. It was Freddie Mercury, John Deacon, Roger Taylor, and Brian May, they all had equal input. They all had uh, each each member has written has has written has written points a, off points off <laughs> has written has written a hit or has contributed to a hit or one in one way or the other. The bass player, probably second behind Freddie Mercury, John Deacon wrote the wrote the bass part to another one bites the dust. Came up with that organ part. Where's the guitar on, in that song? You hear? Where's the no? Where's the guitar? Another one by Sadat. Well, here's one. Here's one of the great, one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time. We will rock you. Where's anything in that song until the very fucking end? That's a stadium chant. It's still a great. It's still one of the most celebrated. That that's not rock and roll all night fucking fodder. I don't know what is. If that's not rock and roll all night part two or three, exactly. Or they're ripping off something that was already good and made it better. <laughs> They didn't even need a guitar until the very fucking end. All I can think of is the Taco Bell commercial where the motherfuckers are sitting across the bar and they're like putting their elbows up on the table and then they crunch the taco. And then like the next guy sits down. And that's and that's and, that, and that's one of like maybe ten songs that you hear at a football stadium or like at a karaoke bar or at your friend's Appealing party. Appealing to the lowest common denominator, I got it. Well, again, you, 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 you want to go? You want to go outside and ask anybody if they've heard of the Super Suckers? <laughs> no, but I think the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> what you see? What you got, Chris? I have heard the Super Suckers since meeting you. <laughs> yes. They are a magnificent band. They are. I didn't have a chance to see them live, but also I didn't see fucking Queen live either. <laughs> <laughs> they are two different bands. Oh, yeah. Diametrically opposite from <laughs> oh, each other. Yeah. Yeah. Who are top tiered in what they fucking do. However. <laughs> However. Queen, as magnificent as they were, cut down by HIV and AIDS. Do do disco stadium whatever the fuck they got to do, they play it. And as Alex said before, operatic stadium rock. But I gotta let the hammer fall with Queen, man. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got I gotta let Queen go go forward. Go forward. <sighs> oh, I thought you were saying drop oh, no. the hammer on them, and I'm like, what? I thought Super Suckers are totally getting the boot on You're, this one. This was one of your better arguments. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was going to be upset. I was like, wait a minute. I put super suckers, but like this doesn't seem right if they go through and Queen Dutton. It was a good argument, though. Yeah. All right. How many more we got? Two more. Two more. Then you can catch the next episode on something good for you. Yeah, and I will list off what the next uh, go-tos are. Cool. Cap. Yes, sir. One, two, three, four, physical graffiti. Led Zeppelin. (laughs) Versus... Sex Pistols. Ooh. 
these guys again diametrically opposed to very each other much very good you think of you, when you say rock especially british rock you get Led zeppelin you think of punk what do you say you're you're uh you go first i got the floor huh all right you well do. well what can be said about led zeppelin that hasn't been said by literally everybody they're like like the sex pistols there have been books and books and documents and documents and historical takes on both on led zeppelin that you know i don't want to repeat verbatim or like you know don't want to you know beat a dead horse by because i almost didn't put led zeppelin on my list because they have been over analyzed it's like the beatles they've been over analyzed led zeppelin probably more so in the last few decades than the rest of them but led zeppelin to me is one of those bands that you can't not include them on a list because of what they did for the genre what they've done for popular music and the archetypes they created much like with uh, Sex Pistols with Punk with uh, Led Zeppelin, even though they weren't, I don't consider them a heavy metal by, band by any means, but they were created all of the, pretty much all of the archetypes you see in a heavy metal band. You've got the powerhouse front man with the big flowy hair, this guy that could, you know, sing his ass off, scream like a bang sh- banshee and look like a goddamn sex god with his shirt open and everything too. <laughs> Catching doves with one hand, drinking whiskey in the other. And then you've got... Points docked for simping. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jimmy Page is like the... Arch- is uh, You know, he's not the first guy to, you know, be that lead guitar hero in a rock and roll band. But, you know, he did a lot of things that, you know, Eddie Van Halen ripped off a lot of uh, you know everybody from the '80s lifted. Hell, even Ace Frehley used ripped uh, for, for uh, his time in Kiss. You know, yep. made the Les Paul, the Gibson Les Paul, an icon of an instrument within the rock and with uh, with rock and roll. You know, of course, he wasn't the first one to do it, but you, when you think of you know the Les Paul guitar, one of the first uh, people that comes to mind is Jimmy Page. And they were much like a lot of other bands on this list. They uh, you know took chances and made. All kinds of diverse kinds of music, whether it was acoustic or, again, country, psychedelic, you know. And, uh, you know, he had a guy like Jimmy Page that knew what he was doing in the studio to, you know, make all these sounds and everything like that. So they were a very multidimensional band and hits for days. Yes, they get slack for fucking, you know, lifting things from blues players, even if even going to court over things like this. But we're still celebrating this catalog and singing. You know, again, 10 songs. Everybody that's a fan of rock music knows at least 10 Led Zeppelin songs. And everybody that picks up a guitar wants to learn, you know, at least wants to learn Black Dog or Cashmere or fucking Stairway. You know, the list goes on and on. All right. Well, cut all the fat, you hippie. It's time for some real shit. Okay. Because strip away the crazy guitar stuff. In fact, everything you just listed is the reason why the Sex Pistols were even thought of in the first place. There's been stuff about them being, you know, kind of a studio-created band or a manager-created band, but at the end of the day, it was still four people getting together writing these songs. They may have been put together by an outside source, but at the end of the day, these four individuals created probably one of the most iconic classic punk records period and i'll use your argument because i was trying to use it against you and you never and now's the time that i could have used it quantity over quality they released one record or uh, quality over quantity rather they released one record and there is not a single dud on that thing every song is a hit 
hit after hit after hit. Songs that get shown on compilations. Songs that get put on a fucking rock band. And it, you don't need the crazy drum solos. You don't need the crazy guitar solos. It is just bare bones punk rock. And again, that is the antithesis of what they were and what the Ramones were. They wanted to strip away this druggy acid rock going on for way too long. You know, keep it simple, stupid. You know, don't bore us with the, you know, don't bore us. Get to the chorus. You know, fucking just rock the shit out. And that's what they did. <clears throat> no feelings. The whole catch of that song is the, uh, you know, is the chorus. You know, all of these songs, they hit you with such catchy, aggressive music. And yet they don't play fast. That's the interesting thing. Everyone says how aggressive the Sex Pistols sounded. Well, listen to the music. They're not playing very fast. It's all in the attack. And it mimics a lot of the other bands I've been um, defending. They're not sure they had crazy stage presence. Sid Vicious never played his fucking bass. He was up there just for show. But the musicianship on those records, Steve Jones is an amazing guitar player. And he can just rip it with anyone. I mean, hell, he had an 80s metal band later just to show that he can actually play <laughs> guitar. But it's all down to his playing and how it sounded aggressive. They wanted that tight basically just that little ball of oh shit it's coming you know it's like you're not scared of it but you can tell at any time it can just explode into a million pieces and that's what the sex pistols were they were actually the rebellion against led zeppelin and they were kind of the dinosaur rock of the times but it's kind of what uh it's still with the uh, steve jones I love Steve Jones. I love the Sex Pistols, but he was kind of a one-trick pony on the guitar with uh, Chuck Berry licks and, you know, for lack of a better term, ACDC kind of style power chords. Or I guess Pete Townsend, because he was a big Pete Townsend guy with all those power but chords. But then you've got Leiden that broke off in the 80s and did Public Image Limited, which uh, which was a completely different thing than the Sex Pistols. Very pop new wave, and he proved himself to be a vocalist even in a completely diametrically opposed music genre at the time same thing with robert plant he broke off in the 80s and did his own his own thing and was able to you know take uh, his band like the honey drippers and kind of be more of a crooner in the 80s and that's the thing about robert plant too is like he can get you with his like you know banshee screams but he could also like you know s- you know uh, croon you oh uh, yeah Chew, bless you <laughs> <laughs> yeah he'll just have sex on the microphone if he wants to and shit too and uh, you know he'll be a crooner, and he can like uh, hit his range all, o- all over the place. And he will not take that reunion paycheck, no matter how big the number is. And I fucking love that about Robert Plant because he knows that he can't sing these Led Zeppelin songs anymore. But one thing I also love about the Sex Pistols is that when they do their reunion tours, they're usually called like uh, "We're in it for the money" tour and yeah. shit like that. <laughs> they don't give a fuck. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah it's just kind of it's one of those it's like the Queen's uh, Super Suckers argument it's just two very different bands but with uh, yeah but this is almost like but it's, it's, but it's but they're still connected in the way of like one was the rebellion against yeah where like a Led Zeppelin was like the uh, the catalyst yeah they're, they're at the top of the castle and all, and all that too because like it's kind of like queen where like led zeppelin and queen are, are kind of like you know you're too big you know mm-hmm. uh arena rock acts of the mid to late uh yeah mid 70s I, I would say yeah led zeppelin kind of trailed off after the uh, mid 70s but yeah that's uh that's my argument for led zeppelin what you got chris i would say actually my little side note sex pistols more culturally significant Ooh, Ooh that's a hard Ooh. All right. Well, for, we're talking in about the in the punk culture and more of the metal culture. Yes, I would even say even in the fashion culture. 
Oh, you, yeah. would, you wouldn't have places yeah. like Hot Topic, Spencer's, and even some of these larger companies, like surprisingly, like Dolce Gabbana and Gucci, mm-hmm. releasing like punk rock looking jackets. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of where uh, that's another part. There's another here's another uh, thing I'll throw in this debate with Sex Pistols. It seems to be more uh, you know culturally significant, you know, as in a fashion world or something like that. I would say Led Zeppelin's more uh, you know musically their legacy is last in that regard not so much in fashion and look but definitely in uh style of music these are great arguments period they are uh the sex pistols the punk band go-to for me i'm not a fan of the stooges Mm -hmm. but sex pistols were my go-to led zeppelin goddamn yeah (laughs) But, but you know they have their problems as well. Uh, now I'm not currently look, you know, I'm not really looking at breakoffs or anything like that. And this is about a unit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I'm not going off sheer numbers. I'm not going off, you know, my personal favorites. Okay. Mm. Like I said, you guys, made, you guys made general arguments. <laughs> this, is, this is when you're getting tough on making the judging choices. Yeah, I'm biting my fucking teeth on this one. <laughs> um, just be. I will say, it's hard to it's hard to give it. Just Take say it. it. Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I will say, I will say the Sex Pistols. If he had put them on higher, they would have had a better chance. Got it. Now, Cap did come hard with the Beatles in the low end for some reason, <laughs> but that's his opinion. But so, hey, I came in hard with Johnny Cash on the low end, even though he didn't win. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. It, this is a knockdown dragout. Now, this one. It's our last one before commercial break. <laughs> our last one. And you defended Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. And you opened this one. Okay. I love this band. <laughs> so don't fuck it up. <laughs> Turbo, Turbo Negro mm-hmm. versus the Velvet Underground. Oh, interesting. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> now... Turbo Negro may have had some of the same problems as some of the other bands on here where their first few records really didn't gain a big popular status. But in the world of subcultures booming in the late 90s with the rise of uh, the X Games and even weird subculture TV stations like Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon popping up, there's all these weird little fringe things that all of a sudden counterculture is becoming a little bit more pop culture. And through that, we got this little skate group, CKY, coming up in the ranks. All of a sudden, they're making these waves on MTV and they've got this show called Jackass. And they start doing TV and movies, and all of a sudden, there's a song on here called All My Friends Are Dead. And I remember hearing that song in one of the videos. I can't remember if it was the show or the movie, but sitting here going, holy fuck, now that's a fucking cool song. Where all of a sudden, it was a situation of kids were now getting turned on to music the same way they would have at their friend's house. Their friends would have their CD or vinyl record collections and they'd play some. Well, all of a sudden these skateboard videos are kind of working as like backdoor music videos for all these bands come up and coming or, you know, had legacy. Even the dwarves were kind of subjugated to that. They had some of their songs and skate videos, much to Black's dismay. But, through that, all of a sudden, this what Norwegian yeah. uh, Norwegian rock band Turbo Negro, fronted by Hank Von Hell, R.I.P., all of a sudden became very well known in the U.S. And then they release another album, and it gets oh, super popular. And then what, like Wild Boys use another one of their songs? Yeah, so for all, the theme song. So all of a sudden, 
you start connecting Turbo Negro with the skating subculture. And not a lot of bands were able to cross into that because you had bands that were already established getting roped into it. It felt like this was the first new band outside of him that Bam Margera was primarily promoting that really came up in the ranks because of Jackass, Wild Boys, CKY, this kind of stuff. And to me, that lead, and that's why I kind of put them in this list is. It was underground skater kids recognizing underground talent not from the U.S. and was wanting to shine a spotlight on it. And they were right. They became extremely popular. And you listen to these old songs and you hear glimpses of Kiss. You hear glimpses of Thin Lizzy. You hear a little bit of David Bowie, but then you hear a lot of Ramones and you hear a lot of like grimy punk rock. And the songs themselves are so fucking cool. And it's like you, you always teeter that line of like, are they being comical? Or do they semi-believe this? <laughs> you know? And and I think that's just what really made it great and fun. And not only that, the music videos were great too. They knew how to cultivate the image along with the style. And not many bands outside of maybe KISS, Misfits, and a handful of others have their own fan-created fan club. The Turbo Yugen is a fan-created fan club for the Turbo Negro band that you have chapters of it's not like just the kiss army where you send them 20 bucks a year they send you a card and a t-shirt and you're like they're like welcome to the army no these motherfuckers have facebook groups you've got the fucking back patches that say the location these guys are hardcore with it when you want to talk hardcore fans turbo negro has them and they have them for a reason I had to get into a history lesson, but it's weird because the Velvet Underground kind of came from like a similar thing where they had a subculture in uh, like the New York art scene that, you know, really gave them their first shot through Andy Warhol and uh, his cronies and everybody uh, that was associated with that. That was the first uh, group that gave the Velvet Underground and Lou Reed their first platform to put out music. And it's kind of, and uh, you hear a, uh, and, but you talk about Turbo Negro, about how uh, you hear Kiss, you hear all these things, you know, uh, all these influences. With Velvet Underground, you don't know what the fuck this is when you first hear it. Like, the first record I got was the first album that has the banana sh- on the uh, album cover, the yeah. very first one, Velvet Underground and Nico. And you hear Sunday Morning, which is this, like, xylophone thing with uh, L- Lou Reed singing in, with a little... Uh, little crooning voice that's not really in key but not really on uh, off key either and it's that same th- that's that similar moment i had when i discovered the stooges for the first time where i'm like what is this and and why do i like it so much <laughs> and then it cuts into i'm waiting for my man which is all about him getting heroin from a fucking dealer in harlem where it's like i'm here waiting for my man 26 dollars in my hand and you talked about how with uh turbo negro it's like you weren't sure if they were uh, you know believing this or if they were just mm-hmm. laughing with velvet underground it was very much <laughs> on the nose it was very real this was like if you want to put on a record for like you know just going into like the the bowels of new york that is the soundtrack like when you listen to the track heroin it sounds like what heroin probably feels like (laughs) because you're hearing all these like violins that are like eh, that are just kind of like you know screeching off and on and like uh uh the chorus of it talks about how uh, you know Lou Reed singing about how I feel like I'm Jesus's son, and then the tempo gets bigger and be- bigger, uh, faster and faster. And he says, "And I guess I don't know." And I guess I just don't know. And right as he says that for like the third time, that's when it just tapers off, and it leaves you with this 
uneasy feeling exactly who wants to listen to that that sounds like some artsy fartsy bullshit when i'm listening to some music i want to actually feel something i don't want to say well that's what i feel you feel uneasy i don't want to feel uneasy i want to fucking put on party animals and listen to like all my friends are dead blow me like the wind wasted again high on the crime these kind of songs are fun exciting they don't leave you going Ooh. <laughs> and to me that's what I like in my music I don't want my music to make me feel bad I want to get uplifted I want to have fun but it's different like that's what I love about like certain art styles and things like that stuff that make you feel different like you know and that's the musician in me too that appreciates that kind of thing that you know puts you in like different moods you know I want to rock and roll all night part of every day as the movie says <laughs> but with like but uh, there's also you know really great songs on that first Velvet Underground record and, you know I talked about the heroin song but then you've got like really good catchy pop sounding songs like say Femme Fatale that Nico sings on how many were used as part of an intro to a TV show on MTV I mean how many get how many of uh, Turbo Negro songs that uh, David Bowie covered during his Ziggy Stardust uh, era I mean, they weren't around during a Ziggy Stardust era, so <laughs> if he had been. <laughs> but it made that effect much like the Stooges did, where like people were like, this is interesting music, and these are some great songs, too. And then, I could totally see Bowie doing Don't Say Motherfucker, Motherfucker. <laughs> I'm going to say, did, uh, did Hank Von Hill do a co-write with Metallica in the like, 2000s? <laughs> No. Oh, you actually want to? Fine. Let's use that record. Lulu. You want to use Lulu I'm not talking as part about, of your record? No, I don't, actually. Okay, not all right. This all right. No. Pull it back then. I was going to say, I'll I'm talk Lulu st- all day long. Strictly Velvet Underground, not Lou Reed solo or anything like that. But if you want good. But you said go right with Metallica. But if you, but if you want good quality, like rock and roll stuff, look up uh, the uh, Loaded. the That that record that has Sweet Jane, all these, uh, like, who uh, was it? Uh. Who Loves the Sun, all these great... It's almost like Beatles and Rolling Stones-y kind of sounding uh, vibes with these with that song. And every record that Velvet Underground put out was way different. White Light, White Heat kind of has yeah. like this really distorted, you know... Uh, un, it's like a really just like grainy kind of sound to it because, again, much like the Stooges, they didn't know what the fuck they were doing in the studio. They cranked all their amps up to 10 and just hit record. And, you know, if you listen to it at first, it sounds like shit. But then you get through songs like Sister Ray, which is all about, you know, it's like a spoken word kind of deal where it's all about like, you know, a trans dancer, like getting her revenge and shit like that. And not the sugar plum fairy. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's like it's a vibe with Velvet Underground. Like there's Mm -hmm. great songs and there's also like just a continuous vibes. And it's just like one of those things that gives me, uh, you know, they're one of my favorite bands because of their uniqueness. Yeah. And I, I understand, you know, that they're a city band, you know. That Very much a city band. band. But they're not the city of Satan. Turbo Negro. <laughs> <laughs> he, he wrote you in good with that one. Yeah, he did. <laughs> All right, folks, we have our winners and we throw Ooh, away our losers. Yeah. On our next episode, which is going to be featured on. Something good for you. Yes. Uh, I'm not on that one as much, so don't listen too much of it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Our next round will go to the Ramones versus Led Zeppelin. Oh, boy. Kiss versus Queen. Stadium (laughs) versus Stadium. (laughs) I want to see that. I want to see that show. Misfits. Dirty, dirty misfits versus Rush. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. Star Child himself, David Bowie, versus the Beatles. Oh, Ooh. all right. 
Tom Brady, Tom Petty. Tom Brady. <laughs> I, keep saying it. I keep saying it. I keep Tom fucking Brady saying it. <laughs> Tom Petty might get his heart broken by the fucking who. Oh, <laughs> they're dwarves. Newest of the new versus the Stooges. Mm. Mm. Thin Lizzy, live from Dublin, versus the Rolling Stones. Ooh. All right. And just as a throwaway, Black Sabbath. Versus our friends at Turbo Negro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next round is bad. It's a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> well, tune in Friday to something good for you to hear part two of these shenanigans, I reckon. And at Alex Stiff for all of your comments. Yeah, yeah. Alex Stiff 1945 on Instagram. Yeah. Reach out to me too. I at Cat Nun on Instagram. Fuck it. You, you know what? Debate me online. And Chris Let's doesn't have even fun. have an Instagram, so... Like Just find us in the Discord. Link's in the episode description. I don't even get on Discord. I like my privacy. <laughs> <laughs> well, for this tournament episode of the Couch Potatoes, I've been Alex. This is Cap. And Chris, do you have any sort of final thoughts as we move into the next round? Dude, bring your fucking rocks, man. This is going to be a rock fight. <laughs> oh! <laughs>